Isaiah 32, there is no peace for the world apart from righteousness. There's no doubt that the world today is broken, fallen, in a horrible state. Some may think it's irreparable, beyond repair, beyond hope. Not so. That is why God gave us prophets. They are his spokespersons. He shows them what will happen within their lifetimes as well as a far distant future. Today's prophecy goes further on past the impending threat to Hezekiah's city, Jerusalem, to the last days. You know, the name Jerusalem means city of peace. When will there be peace in Jerusalem and the whole world for that matter? Well, let's dig in. Isaiah 32, Israel's ultimate deliverance. Look, a righteous king is coming and honest princes will rule under him. Each one will be like a shelter from the wind and a refuge from the storm, like streams of water in the desert and the shadow of a great rock in a parched land. Then everyone who has eyes will be able to see the truth and everyone who has ears will be able to hear it. Even the hotheads will be full of sense and understanding. Those who stammer will speak out plainly. In that day, ungodly fools will not be heroes. Scoundrels will not be respected for fools speak foolishness and make evil plans. They practice ungodliness and spread false teachings about the Lord. They deprive the hungry of food and give no water to the thirsty. The smooth tricks of scoundrels are evil. They plot crooked schemes. They lie to convict the poor, even when the cause of the poor is just. But generous people plan to do what is generous and they stand firm in their generosity. Listen, you women who lie around in ease. Listen to me, you who are so smug. In a short time, just a little more than a year, you careless ones will suddenly begin to care. For your fruit crops will fail and the harvest will never take place. Tremble, you women of ease. Throw off your complacency. Strip off your pretty clothes and put on burlap to show your grief. Beat your breasts in sorrow for your bountiful farms and your fruitful grapevines. For your land will be overgrown with thorns and briars. Your joyful homes and happy towns will be gone. The palace and the city will be deserted and busy towns will be empty. Wild donkeys will frolic and flocks will graze in the empty forts and watchtowers until at last the spirit is poured out on us from heaven. Then the wilderness will become a fertile field and the fertile field will yield bountiful crops. Justice will rule in the wilderness and righteousness in the fertile field. And this righteousness will bring peace. Yes, it will bring quietness and confidence forever. I can't wait. My people will live in safety quietly at home, they will be at rest. Even if the forest should be destroyed and the city torn down, the Lord will greatly bless his people. Wherever they plant seed, bountiful crops will spring up. Their cattle and donkeys will graze freely. End of Isaiah 32. The King of Kings, 
Isaiah starts off announcing Jesus' arrival to the world as the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. Besides that, we, his born-again believers, will rule as princes under him. And Jesus refers to that in the parable of the ten servants in Luke chapter 17. And if you want to click over to my blog, I've, I've got a Bible study on that chapter. Your faithfulness now means authority in his kingdom. And John foresees this in Revelation 5. We read in Revelation 5 verse 7, he stepped forward and took the scroll from the right hand of the one sitting on the throne. And when he took the scroll, the four living beings and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. That's Jesus, by the way. Each one had a harp and they held gold bowls filled with incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song with these words. You are worthy to take the scroll and break its seals op and open it. For you were slaughtered and your blood has ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Believers, and you have caused them to become a kingdom of priests for our own God, and they will reign on earth. Some say Bible prophecy is hard to understand. Yes, especially if you try to read it on your own. Fortunately, God makes the Holy Spirit available to us to open our eyes, mind, and heart to read, listen, and understand. When you sit down to read or listen to the Word of God, ask Him to guide you and help you comprehend what He's trying to say to you. Believe me, every time you read a verse or a chapter, it may hold a different meaning for you depending on your current situation. If you sincerely want to understand, God will make sure you do. There will come a time when every heart will be exposed. No more hiding, deceit, and dishonesty. As Jesus told Nicodemus in John chapter 3, starting in verse 19, and the judgment is based on this fact. God's light came into the world, but people loved the darkness more than the light, for their actions were evil. All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it for fear their sins will be exposed. But those who do what is right come to the light so others can see that they are doing what God wants. Sack, sackcloth. All throughout the scriptures, you'll see the phrase sack, sackcloth and ashes. Sackcloth is also known as burlap. It's a very coarse fabric and extremely uncomfortable to wear. Ashes are the result of something that's burned. It no longer exists. People put on sackcloth and toss ashes on their heads as a sign of remorse or mourning. And most importantly, humbling. The apathetic and apostate church. Isaiah admonishes lazy women who have become complacent. That truly describes today's church, apathetic and apostate. Apathetic means uncaring, showing no interest or concern. Apostate means abandoning religious or political belief. They go together. Pastor Sandy Adams explains, the women of Jerusalem needed to repent of apathy. It's like the young girl who said, the number one problem in this country is apathy, but who cares? It's been stated of the church, 10% of people are actively engaged in progressive change. 10% are actively engaged in resisting change. 
and the other 80% just sit there. Do you just sit there or really care? How many of us have grown complacent toward the people around us going to hell? Are we apathetic toward our own worship or our own spiritual growth? It's time we wake up to what matters to God. Again, that was Pastor Sandy Adams. And I have a link to his, his um, lesson on this chapter. Nevertheless, God promises that there will be an end to complacency, apathy, and apostasy. People will stop being uncaring. How? Through the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Like Peter said in Acts 2 when he quoted the prophet Joel, and we will get to him soon, um, Acts 2, uh, starting in verse 17. In the last days, God said, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I will pour out my spirit even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. And I will cause wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and clouds of smoke. The sun will become dark and the moon will turn blood red before the great and glorious day of the Lord arrives. But everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. When God sent the Holy Spirit to fill Peter and the apostles on Pentecost, Peter connected the dots. He knew the words of the prophets were coming to fruition. They were being fulfilled in his time. There is no peace apart from righteousness. Evil causes chaos. Hate causes pain. Pride causes greed. Coveting causes jealousy. Lust causes unrest. Furthermore, they all lead to war. There is no peace without righteousness, and there is no righteousness without the Holy Spirit. Chocolate vanilla swirl. Pastor Sandy Adams likens Old Testament Bible prophecy to a chocolate vanilla swirl ice cream cone. You have two flavors, which each on their own are good, but blended together, they are the best. These prophecies are twofold. Warnings for the people living in the prophet's time, as well as warnings, promises, and blessings for all those who believe in Jesus Christ. Like it or not, the great tribulation will happen at some point after his church, his born-again believers, are raptured out of here to meet Jesus in heaven. No matter what the world looks like after the great tribulation, God will bless us, his true believers. The promise is in Revelation chapters 21 and 22. And John wrote the beginning of Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared. And the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. See, Jesus will come and rescue his believers from his wrath in the great tribulation at the rapture. Once that's all over, we'll come back with him to live in the new earth and worship him in the new Jerusalem. Check out my study on, on Revelation um, 21 and 22, and I have a, whole, a study on the whole book of Revelation. Where are you in all this? Have you got the confident hope of Jesus' true salvation? 
Well, if you're not sure if you're saved or not, if you truly want to be born again and have the assurance of salvation, receive the Holy Spirit and get a one-way nonstop ticket to heaven after you die, or that you won't be left behind at the rapture, which can happen at any moment, this is what you have to do. Invite Jesus into your heart and receive the gift and confident hope of eternal life. If you don't know what to say, you don't know what to do, there's a prayer in the show notes, or you can click on over to my blog and click where it says, how to invite Jesus into your heart. And at the bottom of today's blog, I have two hymns and worship songs, two hymns worship songs for you. Soli Deo Gloria, to God alone be the glory. Isaiah 33 and 35, be strong and never fear, Jesus wins at Armageddon. We are living in the end times. We are living in biblical times. The exact times that Isaiah prophesied 2,700 years, no, yeah, 2,700 years ago. We're in the middle of the book of Isaiah and today we see him transition from warning the people of his time to warning us. Yet, he always adds hope. We have hope because we have a mighty savior whom we know wins in the end. Let's dig in. Isaiah 33, a message to the Assyrians. What sorrow awaits you Assyrians who have destroyed others but have never been destroyed yourselves. You betray others but you have never been betrayed. When you are done destroying, you will be destroyed. When you are done betraying, you will be betrayed. But Lord, be merciful to us for we have waited for you. Be our strong arm each day and our salvation in times of trouble. The enemy runs at the sound of your voice. When you stand up, the nations flee. Just as caterpillars and locusts strip the fields and vines, so the fallen army of Assyria will be stripped. Though the Lord is very great and lives in heaven, he will make Jerusalem his home of justice and righteousness. In that day, he will be your sure foundation, providing a rich store of salvation, wisdom, and knowledge. The fear of the Lord will be your treasure. But now your brave warriors weep in public, your ambassadors of peace cry in bitter disappointment. Your roads are deserted, no one travels them anymore. The Assyrians have broken their peace treaty and care for nothing for the promises they made before witnesses. They have no respect for anyone. The land of Israel wilts in mourning. Lebanon withers with shame. The plain of Sharon is now a wilderness. Bashan and Carmel have been plundered. But the Lord says, now I will stand up. Now I will show my power and might. You Assyrians produce nothing but dry grass and stubble. Your own breath will turn to fire and consume you. Your people will be burned up completely like thorn bushes cut down and tossed in a fire. Listen to what I have done, you nations far away, and you that are near, acknowledge my might. The sinners in Jerusalem shake with fear. Terror seizes the godless. Who can live with this devouring fire? They cry, who can survive this all-consuming fire? Those who are honest and fair, who refuse to profit by fraud, who stay away from bribes, who refuse to listen to those who plot murder, who shut their eyes to all enticement to do wrong. These are the ones who will dwell on high. 
The rocks of the mountains will be their fortress. Food will be supplied to them and they will have water in abundance. Your eyes will see the king in all his splendor and you will see a land that stretches into the distance. You will think back to this time of terror asking, where are the Assyrian officers who counted our towers? Where are the bookkeepers who recorded the plunder taken from our fallen city? You will no longer see these fierce, violent people with their strange, unknown language. Instead, you will see Zion as a place of holy festivals. You will see Jerusalem, a city quiet and secure. It will be like a tent whose ropes are taut and whose stakes are, are firmly fixed. The Lord will be our mighty one. He will be like a wide river of protection that no enemy can cross, that no enemy ship can sail upon. For the Lord is our judge, our lawgiver, and our king. He will care for us and save us. The enemy's sails hang loose on broken masts with useless tackle. Their treasure will be divided by the people of God. Even the lame will take their share. The people of Israel will no longer say, we are sick and helpless, for the Lord will forgive their sins. That is Isaiah 33. Some points to ponder. Sinners should quake with fear. They are condemned. They are doomed to an eternal life in hell. The righteous who close their eyes to evil, who are honest and fair, they will be protected and will have enough food and water. King Jesus is coming. This is the glorious appearing. And we born again believers will see Jesus when he comes for us in the rapture, which can happen in any moment. That's way before the unbelievers who get left behind. Now, believe me, you don't want to be left behind. Jerusalem will be quiet and secure and a place for, for festivals. Now, that didn't happen for very long in Isaiah's time. Though the Assyrians were stopped, the bad kings continued, and then the Babylonians came and sacked Jerusalem. And we'll go back to the historical accounts in 2 Kings in a few days. Um, the Jerusalem Isaiah describes here is the one that John sees in Revelation uh, chapter 21. And if you want to click on over to my blog, you can check those out, that, the, that chapter out. King Jesus will be our judge, lawgiver, and ruler. And here we actually see the basis of our government structure in the U.S. Our forefathers based the American design of government on this. We have the judicial branch, um, that's the Supreme Court, the lawmakers, Congress and the Senate, and the executive branch, the president. Only Jesus could be over all three branches of government, and that's going to be the future government. Next, Isaiah becomes the seer of future prophecies. Isaiah 34, a message for the nations. Come here and listen, O nations of the earth. Let the world and everything in it hear my words. For the Lord is enraged against the nations. His fury is against all their armies. He will completely destroy them, dooming them to slaughter. Their dead will be left unburied and the stench of rotting bodies will fill the land. The mountains will flow with their blood. The heavens above will melt away and disappear like a rolled up scroll. The stars will fall from the sky like withered leaves from a grapevine or shriveled figs from a fig tree. When my sword has finished its work in the heavens, it will fall upon Edom. For Edom? Oh yeah. The nation I have marked for destruction. 
The sword of the Lord is drenched with blood and covered with fat, with the blood of lambs and goats, with the fat of rams prepared for sacrifice. Yes, the Lord will offer a sacrifice in the city of Basra. He will make a mighty slaughter in Edom. Even men as strong as wild oxen will die, the young men alongside the veterans. The land will be soaked with blood and the soil enriched with fat. For it is the day of the Lord's revenge, the year when Edom will be paid back for all it did to Israel. The streams of Edom will be filled with burning pitch and the ground will be covered with fire. This judgment on Edom will never end. The smoke of its burning will rise forever and the land will die deserted from generation to generation. No one will live there anymore. It will be haunted by the desert owl and the screech owl and the great, the great owl and the raven. For God will measure that land carefully. He will measure it for chaos and destruction. It will be called the land of nothing and all its nobles will soon be gone. Thorns will overrun its palaces, nestles and thistles will grow in its forts. The ruins will become a haunt for jackals and a home for owls. Desert animals will mingle there with hyenas, their howls filling the night. Wild goats will bleat at one another among the ruins, and night creatures will come there to rest. There the owl will make her nest and lay her eggs. She will hatch her young and cover them with her wings, and the buzzards will come, each one with its mate. Search the book of the Lord and see what he will do. Not one of these birds and animals will be missing and none will lay, lack a mate. For the Lord has promised this, his spirit will make it all come true. He has surveyed and divided the land and deeded it over to those creatures. They will possess it forever from generation to generation. That is Isaiah 34. Some more points to ponder here. So here Isaiah speaks not to one nation, but all nations, today's world. He sees the future battle of Armageddon in the Valley of Jezreel. Now, you got to check out the bottom, Living at the Edge of Armageddon by Amir Safati, who actually lives there. Now, Isaiah sees what John wrote in Revelation 6. Um, and that, uh, Revelation 6, starting in verse 12. I watched as the lamb broke the sixth seal and there was a great earthquake. The sun became as dark as black cloth and the moon became as red as blood. Then the stars of the sky fell to the earth like green, green figs falling from a tree shaken by a strong wind. The sky was rolled up like a scroll and all of the mountains and islands were moved from their places. Then everyone, the kings of the earth, the rulers, the generals, the wealthy and the powerful, and every slave and free person all hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. The mountains that he made move. And they cried to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of the one who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come and who is able to survive? Well, Pastor Sandy Adams states, and I quote, notice the Lord is angry at all nations, not just Assyria. Again, this points us to the last days, and apparently the end times will see a new unity. Globalism will bring all nations of the earth together. God divided the nations at the Tower of Babel. I was in, in Genesis 11. Um, and in case you're not familiar with that story, you can click on over to my blog, and, and um, I did a study on that. But in the end, Satan will rally the nations 
again in one final revolt under the sway of this man, the Antichrist. I'm not sure who that is. Got to click over to my blog. Dig deeper. Even today, trends are moving toward one world solutions and global coalitions, a new world order. And I've got a whole page on that. You can go check it out. National sovereignty is viewed as an impediment to process. The, word, the world is getting smaller and we should work together. This is the effort that builds up to the final revolt. And you can visualize world peace if you like, but it's this world's peace that leads to the final battle. And again, it's from Sandy Adams, great, um, great teachings. By the way, Jesus wins in the end. <laughs> We're blessed and privileged to have the end of the story in the great book of Revelation. Continuing Isaiah 35, hope and restoration even the wilderness and desert will be glad in those days the wasteland will rejoice and blossom with spring crocuses yes there will be an abundance of flowers and singing and joy the deserts will become as green as the mountains of lebanon and as lovely as mount carmel or the plain of sharon there the lord will display his glory the splendor of our god with this news, strengthen those who have tired hands and encourage those who have weak knees. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong and do not fear, for your God is coming to destroy your enemies. He is coming to save you. And when he comes, he will open the eyes of the blind and unplug the ears of the deaf. And the lame will leap like a deer and those who cannot speak will sing for joy. Springs will gush forth in the wilderness and streams will water the wasteland. The parched ground will become a pool and springs of water will satisfy the thirsty land. March grass, grass, march, marsh grass and reeds and rushes will flourish where deserted jackals once lived. And a great road will go through that once deserted land. It will be named the highway of holiness. Evil-minded people will never travel on it. It will be only for those who walk in God's ways. Fools will never walk there. Lions will not lurk along its course, nor any other ferocious beasts. There will be no other dangers. Only the redeemed will walk on it. Those who have been ransomed by the Lord will return. They will enter Jerusalem singing, crowned with everlasting joy. Sorrow and mourning will disappear and they will be filled with joy and gladness. This is the encouragement that the people of Isaiah's day needed. However, they did not get to see this in their lifetimes. This is for us today. Back in chapter six, Isaiah saw King Jesus, the Messiah, high and lifted up. We believers will get to see that too. Imagine seeing the deserts bloom and streams of living water everywhere. Imagine the highway to holiness where Jews from all over the world will come back to worship the Messiah in the new Jerusalem. The message for us today is that we need not fear death. As born again believers, we will be saved from God's wrath, the great tribulation by the rapture. Oh, and by the way, if you don't know what it means to be God fearing, I do have an article on that. You can click on over to my blog and check that out. Nevertheless, it's only for the redeemed and the ransomed. The benefits of salvation are for the chosen. It's an exclusive club. Even so, everyone is invited. 
You just have to accept the invitation. And that's the good news of the New Testament. Jesus is our Redeemer who came as a ransom for many. Jesus said in Matthew 20, verse 28, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Peter wrote, 1 Peter 1, verse 18, for you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver, which lose their value. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless lamb of God. And John wrote in Revelation 5, 9, and they sang a new song with these words, you are worthy to take the scroll and break its seals and open it. For you were slaughtered and your blood has ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. So question is, are you part of the redeemed? If you're not sure if you're saved or not, if you truly want to be born again and have the assurance of salvation, receive the Holy Spirit and get a one-way nonstop ticket to heaven after you die, or that you won't be left behind at the rapture, what you have to do is believe, have faith that Jesus is the Christ and he died taking your sins away forever and that he rose from the dead three days later. Repent of your sins and stop sinning. Do a complete 180 degree turn in your life and surrender your life to him. Be baptized, show the world and yourself that you have died to your old life and are born again in Christ. Receive the Holy Spirit in your heart. So what do you have to do? What are you waiting for? Invite Jesus into your heart and receive the gift and confident hope of eternal life. If you're not sure what to do, if you're not sure what to say, there's a prayer in the show notes, or you can click on over to my blog and click where it says how to invite Jesus into your heart. Also in the bottom of today's blog, I have a, um, a worship song. It's an oldie but a goodie. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. And below that is Amir Sarfati living on the edge of Armageddon. He actually lives there. He lives right at the edge of the Jezreel Valley. And so here he, he's actually, it's a video, he's talking to his son about the, um, the Battle of Armageddon that it will be happening sometime in the near future. Solideo Gloria, to God alone be the glory. Isaiah 40, good news in the Old Testament. Judgment ceases and comfort is here. Several times years ago, I had the pleasure and honor of singing Handel's Messiah in a mass choir. That's a choir of 30 to 40 people, along with a local symphony orchestra and professional soloists. What an experience. Technically, I'm a second soprano, singing between alto and soprano. Sometimes I could manage the soprano part if it didn't go too high, I would love to have um, to sing the soprano part of Messiah, but it was way too high. I had to settle for alto. Still, the altos had a significant part, as did all the voices. And I've embedded videos of the songs of Handel's Messiah at the bottom of today's blog. You can click on over there. The link is in the show notes. Why bring this up? Well, Handel got his inspiration for the start of his Messiah oratorio, from Isaiah chapter 40. When you listen to the performances, you'll see that it's just about word for word in the King James Version. See, in the prior chapters, as well as Second Kings, God was warning the people 
of both kingdoms, Israel and Judah, of the coming wrath. All they had to do to avoid it was turn away from worshiping the false gods of their neighboring pagan nations and follow the one true God. Yet they didn't. Israel was attacked and carted away by the Assyrians and Judah. And Judah was attacked three times and carried away to exile in Babylon. Chapter 40 of Isaiah is the start of his gospel prophecies. He's telling the people that though you'll go through hard times, God comforts, God is all-knowing, and he's bigger than any other thing in this world. Let's dig in. Isaiah 40. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Tell her that her sad days are gone and her sins are pardoned. Yes, the Lord has punished her twice over for all her sins. Listen, the voice of someone shouting, clear the way through the wilderness for the Lord makes a straight highway through the wasteland for your God. Fill in the valleys and level the mountains and hills, strengthen the curbs and smooth out the rough places. Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all people will see it together. The Lord has spoken. A voice said, shout. And I ask, what should I shout? Shout that people are like grass. Their beauty fades as quickly as the flowers in a field. The grass withers and the flowers fade beneath the breath of the Lord. And so it is with people. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. O Zion, messenger of good news, shout from the mountaintops. Shout it louder, O Jerusalem, Zion. Shout and do not be afraid. Tell the towns of Judah, your God is coming. Yes, the sovereign Lord is coming in power. He will rule with a powerful arm. He See, he brings his reward with him as he comes. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will carry the lambs in his arms, holding them close to his heart. He will gently lead the mother sheep with their young. Okay, let's pause here a second. So here we have the good news of the good shepherd. And I'm going to borrow again from Pastor Sandy Adams, because it's like I couldn't have written this better myself. So um, he writes, quote, in ancient times, the king always had an advanced man. The forerunner would arrive prior to the king's visit to make the necessary preparations. If a road was too steep, it needed to be flattened or too rough and had to be smooth. It was up to the forerunner to make sure the king was well received. And in relation to the coming of King Jesus, John the Baptist served as his forerunner. In fact, all four gospels quote verse one and identify this voice crying in the wilderness, <coughs> excuse me, as John. He was Messiah's forerunner. Yet, rather than smooth things out, in a sense, John stirred things up. He lived an austere life that mocked the materialism and ease of the Jewish leaders. He exposed sin and preached repentance. In anticipation of Jesus' coming, John worked on the spiritual landscape. He prepared the people's hearts. That again is a quote by Sandy Adams. Interestingly enough, Jesus didn't enter Jerusalem as a king until it was his time, and that was Palm Sunday. And his triumphal entry 
is also recorded in all four Gospels. Jesus died on the cross, disappointing many people because he didn't come to free them from the Romans right then and there. His kingdom is yet to come. The word of God lasts forever. Verse 8 is quoted by Peter um, in 1 Peter 1, 24 to 25. As the scriptures say, people are like grass. Their beauty is like a flower in the field. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And that word is the good news that was preached to you. Why is it that so many people hear the good news, yet they ignore it? The Good Shepherd. The Good Shepherd has many roles. Isaiah mentions four of them. He feeds us, satisfying our spiritual hunger with his word. He gathers us together, calling us by our name. He carries us through our toughest times and finds us when we're lost. He gently leads us where we should go and protects us from where, going where we shouldn't. He's also patient. And in John chapter 10, that's where Jesus calls himself the Good Shepherd. And um, um, some quote, and so uh, John chapter 10, starting in verse nine, and Jesus says, I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. They will come and go freely and will find good pastures. The thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. That is Jesus. Nobody else. Going on, the Lord has no equal. Verse 12, who else has held the oceans in his hand? Who has measured off the heavens with his fingers? Who else knows the weight of the earth or has weighed the mountains and hills on a scale? Who is able to advise the spirit of the Lord? Who knows enough to give him advice or teach him? Has the Lord ever needed anyone's advice? Does he need instruction about what is good? Did someone teach him what is right or show him the path of justice? No, for all the nations of the world are but a drop in the bucket. That's where that phrase comes from, drop in a bucket. There are nothing more than dust on the scales. He picks up the whole earth as though it were a grain of sand. Hence the picture I've got on my blog. You gotta take a look at that. All the wood in Lebanon's forests and all Lebanon's animals would not be enough to make a burnt offering worthy of our God. The nations of the world are worth nothing to him. In his eyes, they count for less than nothing, more emptiness and froth. To whom can you compare God? What image can you find to resemble him? Can he be compared to an idol formed in a mold overlaid with gold and decorated with silver chains? Or if people are too poor for that, they might at least choose wood that won't decay and a skillful, skillful, skilled craftsman to carve an image that won't fall down. Haven't you heard? Don't you understand? Are you deaf to the words of God? The words he gave before the world began? Are you so ignorant? God sits above the circle of the earth. The people below seem like grasshoppers to him. He spreads out the heavens like a curtain and makes his tent from them. 
He judges the great people of the world and brings them all to nothing. They hardly get started, barely taking root when he blows on them and they wither. The wind carries them off like chaff. To whom will you compare me? Who is my equal? Asks the Holy One. Look up into the heavens who created all the stars. He brings them out like an array one after another, calling each by its name. Because of its great power and uh, of his great power and incomparable strength, not a single one is missing. Oh, Jacob, how can you stay? Say the Lord does not see your troubles. Oh, Israel, how can you say God ignores your rights? Have you never heard? Have you never understood? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of all the earth. He never grows weak or weary. No one can measure the depths of his understanding. He gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. Even youth will become weak and tired and young men will fall in exhaustion. But those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. They will soar high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. I love this, this chapter. This chapter is fantastic. God is all-powerful, almighty, and all-knowing. And God is bigger and more powerful than nature, nations, idols, rulers, and stars. Nothing or no one is bigger or more knowledgeable than God. Who is man to think that he could counsel God? Once we accept that God is omnipotent, omnipresent, and omniscient, we can then treat him with the awe and respect he deserves. That is, fear God, who is all-powerful everywhere and knows everything. The earth is round. In verse 22, Isaiah states that God sits above the circle of the earth. Here he is stating that the earth is round 2,200 years before Columbus. You see all these flat earth people, they just don't read their Bible. Remember even Jesus spoke of the rapture in Luke 17. This is actually a quote from Sandy Adams. Two women are grinding, uh, which is a daytime activity, as two men are in bed, nighttime activity. That's when he'll return. How could Jesus promise to return in the day and in the night and not contradict himself? Obviously, he knew the earth was round, not flat. And here is that scripture verse. Jesus said, that's in Luke 17, starting in verse 34. That night, two people will be asleep in one bed. One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding flour together at the mill. One will be taken, the other left. The rapture of the born-again believers will happen at the same time all around the world. My fictional series on what life on earth would be like moments after the rapture captures this idea with vignettes from all around the world. Question now is, will you be left behind? If you're not sure if you're saved or not, if you truly want to be born again and have the assurance of salvation, receive the Holy Spirit and get a one-way non-stop ticket to heaven after you die, and that you won't be left behind at the rapture, this is what you have to do. Invite Jesus into your heart and receive the gift and confident hope of eternal life. If you don't know what to say, you don't know what to do, there's a prayer in the show notes, or you can click on over to my blog and click where it says, how to invite Jesus into your heart. And in the bottom of today's blog, you can enjoy 
a little bit of classical music. It's a part of a little change. We have Handel's Messiah, um, the three, uh, the first three movements, I guess you can say, is um, uh, Comfort Ye and Every Valley um, and the Glory of the Lord and uh, Behold the Virgin Saint Conceive and Good Tidings Design. Now, the first part of the third video that's here, Behold the Virgin Saint Conceive, is from Isaiah 7:14, and this, the 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 rest of it is from Isaiah 40 verse 9. Um, the music is amazing. I just this that was such an amazing experience I had every time that that I sang that in the in the mass choirs. It's um, and I miss that. I miss that here in uh, in Phoenix because that was back when I was when I was living in Florida. So um, I might just have to go and um, find a local performance of Messiah <laughs> now. Um, uh, now the holiday season is starting. Um, but Solideo Gloria. <laughs> and that's the song. And the glory of the Lord. Solideo Gloria. To God alone be the glory. Isaiah 41 and 42, Jesus, the first and the last, with exciting good news. Previously, Isaiah warned the Jews of the coming judgment, that they will be attacked and taken into exile by the Babylonians. As we saw in yesterday's chapter, Isaiah now starts comforting Israel with God's promises of deliverance from the Babylonians. See, God warns, he is patient, he judges the unrighteous, delivers judgment, then comforts the people with good news and solid hope. In these next two chapters, we'll see why we need not be afraid, because the Lord is with us. Jesus is our hope, and that's Jesus. Nobody else, nothing else. Isaiah 41. God's help for Israel. Listen in silence before me, you lands beyond the sea. Bring your strongest arguments. Come now and speak. The court is ready for your case. Who has stirred up this king from the east, rightly calling him to God's service? Who gives this man victory over many nations and permits him to trample their kings underfoot? With his sword, he reduces armies to dust. With his bow, he scatters them like chaff before the wind. He chases them away and goes on safely. Through he is, though he is walking over unfamiliar ground. Who has done such mighty deeds, summoning each new generation from the beginning of time? It is I, the Lord, the first and the last. I alone am he. Jesus. The lands beyond the sea. Watch in fear. Remote lands tremble and mobilize for war. The idol makers encourage one another, saying to each other, be strong. The carver encourages the goldsmith and the molder helps at the anvil. Good, they say. It's coming along fine. Carefully, they join the parts together. They fasten the thing in place so it won't fall over. But as for you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, my chosen one, descended from Abraham, my friend. 
I have called you back from the ends of the earth, saying, You are my servant, for I have chosen you and will not throw you away. Don't be afraid, for I am with you. Don't be discouraged, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. See, all your angry enemies lie there, confused and humiliated. Anyone who opposes you will die and come to nothing. You will look in vain for those who try to conquer you. Those who attack you will come to nothing. For I hold you by, by your right hand, I the Lord your God. And I say to you, don't be afraid, I am here to help you. Though you are a lowly worm, O Jacob, don't be afraid, people of Israel, for I will help you. I am the Lord, your Redeemer. I am the Holy One of Israel. You will be a new threshing instrument with many sharp teeth. You will tear your enemies apart, making chaff of mountains. You will toss them into the air and the wind will blow them away. A whirlwind will scatter them and you will rejoice in the Lord. You will glory in the Holy One of Israel. When the poor and needy search for water and there is none, and their tongues, tongues are parched from thirst, then I, the Lord, will answer them. I, the God of Israel, will never abandon them. I will open up rivers for them on the high plateaus. I will give them fountains of water in the valleys. I will fill the desert with pools of water. Rivers fed by springs will flow across the parched ground. I will plant trees in the barren desert, cedar, acacia, myrtle, olive, cypress, fir, and pine. I am doing this so all who see this miracle will understand what it means. That is the Lord who has done this, the Holy One of Israel who created it. Present the case for your idols, says the Lord. Let me show what they can do, says the King of Israel. Let them try to tell us what happened long ago so that we may consider the evidence. Or let them tell us what the future holds so we can know what's going to happen. Yes, tell us what will occur in the days ahead. Then we will know you are gods. That's little g gods. In fact, do anything, good or bad. Do something that will amaze and frighten us. But no, you are less than nothing and can do nothing at all. Those who choose you pollute themselves. But I have stirred up a leader who will approach you from the north. From the east, he will call on my name. I will give him victory over kings and princes, and he will trample them as a potter treads on clay. Who told you from the beginning that this would happen? Who predicted this, making you admit that he was right? No one said a word. I was the first to tell Zion, look, help is on the way. I will send Jerusalem a messenger with good news. Not one of your idols told you this. Not one gave any answer when I asked. See, they are all foolish, worthless things. All your idols are as empty as the wind. Chapter 42. Look at my servant whom I strengthen. He is my chosen one who pleases me. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring justice to the nations. Jesus. He will not shout or raise his voice in public. He will not crush the weakest, weakest reed or put out a flickering candle. He will bring justice to all who have been wronged. He will not falter or lose heart until justice prevails throughout the earth. 
even distant lands beyond the sea will wait for his instruction. God, the Lord, created the heavens and stretched them out. He created the earth and everything in it. He gives breath to everyone, life to everyone who walks the earth. And is he who says, I, the Lord, have called you to demonstrate my righteousness. I will take you by the hand and guard you, and I will give you to my people Israel as a symbol of my covenant with them. And you will be a light to guide the nations. You will open the eyes of the blind. You will free the captives from prison, releasing those who sit in dark dungeons. I am the Lord. That is my name. I will not give me glory to anyone else nor share my praise with carved idols. Everything I prophesied had come true, has come true. And now I will prophesy again. I will tell you the future before it happens. A song of praise to the Lord. Sing a new song to the Lord. Sing his praises from the ends of the earth. Sing all you who sail the seas, all you who live in distant coastlands. Join the chorus, you desert towns. Let the villages of Kedar rejoice. Let the people of Sitla sing for joy shout praises from the mountaintops let the whole world glorify the lord let it sing his praise let the lord march forth like a mighty hero he will come out like a warrior full of fury he will shout his battle cry and crush his enemies he will say i have long been silent yes i have restrained myself but now, like a woman in labor, I will cry and groan and pant. I will level the mountains and hills and blight all their greenery. I will turn rivers into dry land and will dry up all the pools. I will lead blind Israel down a new path, guiding them along an unfamiliar way. I will brighten the darkness before them and smooth out the road ahead. Yes, I will indeed do these things. I will not forsake them. But those who trust in idols who say you are our gods, little g-gods, will be turned away in shame. Israel's failure to listen and see. Listen, you who are deaf. Look and see, you blind. Who is as blind as my people, my servant? Who is as deaf as my messenger? Who is as blind as my chosen people, the servant of the Lord? You see and recognize what it's right, but refuse to act on it. Let me read that again. You see and recognize what is right, but refuse to act on it. You hear with your ears, but you really don't listen. Are you paying attention? Because he is righteous, the Lord has exalted his glorious law, but his own people have been robbed and plundered, enslaved, imprisoned, and trapped. They are fair game for anyone and have no one to protect them, no one to take them back home. Who will hear these lessons from the past and see the ruins that awaits you in the future? Who allowed Israel to be robbed and hurt? It was the Lord against whom we sinned, for the people would not walk in his path, nor would they obey his law. Therefore, he poured out his fury on them and destroyed them in battle. They were enveloped in flames, but they still refused to understand. They were consumed by fire, but they did not learn their lesson. Wow. God is timeless. He is the first and the last, the Alpha and Omega. He was and is and is to come. He knows the past and he sees the future. Hence, he likes to warn his people, us. The problem is pride closes our eyes and ears to his word. 
over and over again, we read what we're supposed to do and not do, yet we disobey. God warns us, still he is very patient with us. And Peter said it best in 2 Peter uh, chapter 3, um, starting in verse 3. Most importantly, I want to remind you that in the last days, scoffers will come mocking the truth and following their own desires. They will say, what happened to the promise that Jesus is coming again? From before the times of our ancestors, everything has remained the same since the world was first created. They deliberately forget that God made the heavens long ago by the word of his command, and he brought the earth out from the water and surrounded it with water. Then he used the water to destroy the ancient world with a mighty flood. And by the same word, the present heavens and earth have been stored up by fire. They are being kept for the day of judgment, when ungodly people will be destroyed. But you must not forget this one thing, dear friends. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he is being patient for your sake. He doesn't want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. But the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief. Then the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise, and the very elements themselves will disappear in fire. And the earth and everything on it be found to deserve judgment. Since everything around us is going to be destroyed like this, what holy and godly lives should you live looking forward to the day of God and hurrying it along? On that day, he will set the heavens on fire and the elements will melt away in flames. But we are looking forward to the new heavens and new earth he has promised, a world filled with God's righteousness. And so, dear friends, while you are waiting for these things to happen, make every effort to be found living peaceful lives that are pure and blameless in his sight. And remember, our Lord's patience gives people time to be saved. So God is patient and will never leave you. The first message to the Jews and us is fear not, don't be afraid. Fear is from the devil. If you put your trust in God, you never need to be afraid. Let go and let God. Let God take your hand. Allow him to guide your life. When you submit yourself to him, you throw your pride away. There is a deliverer coming from the east that will be King Cyrus of Persia. He'll conquer the Babylonians and let the Jews go home. Then there is a deliverer coming from the north that's King Jesus. Jesus will not fail to conquer the devil. We know that because God in his infinite wisdom chose to reveal his victory to us in the book of Revelation. Just like Jesus conquered sin on the cross and death by rising in, uh, by rising in three days, he'll conquer the powers of evil and win in the end. Again and again, God raises the fact that idols are worthless. He challenges them to do anything to help the people. They can't. Back then, the idols were non-existent gods. Now it's dead people. I hate to burst your bubble, but dead people can't help you. Just like the non-existent gods couldn't help the people back then. Or now, if you're Hindu or Buddhist, they still believe in the non-existent gods. And dead people, too. My spirit. 
that's Yahweh. When Jesus first came as a baby, it was peaceful. He didn't come as a warrior. The Jews expected him to be one, and that was the problem. They didn't get that his kingdom is not of this earth. They were blinded to the good news that Jesus came to save them from their sins, not the Romans. When Jesus comes the second time, however, he'll come as a warrior against the forces of evil, the Antichrist, the false prophet, and Satan, the, the unholy trinity. He'll bring justice to the nations. Here too, Isaiah prophesizes that Messiah will be the light to the Gentiles, that is the non-Jewish people. And we see that in the gospels as Jesus heals Gentiles. Then later we see it in the book of Acts as Paul becomes the apostle to the Gentiles and Peter gets a weird vision. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. That phrase is repeated 19 times in the New Testament. Jesus says it over and over again. Do you have ears? Then listen and understand. God wants you to understand. That's why he sent his Holy Spirit as a helper to us. Before you read the Bible, pray, Lord, open my mind, eyes, and heart to understand what you are trying to tell me. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Simple prayer. If you ask sincerely, he will comply. You'll be surprised at how much you understand as you read. Jesus wants to be your friend. Yes, he told us. John 15, 15, I no longer call you slaves because my master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends since I have told you everything the Father told me. And in the book of Revelation, chapter 3, verse 20, look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and, will share a, and we will share a meal together as friends. Jesus is knocking at the door of your heart. What are you waiting for? Let him in. Invite Jesus into your heart and receive the gift and confident hope of eternal life. You don't know what to say. You don't know what to do. There's a prayer in the show notes, or you can click on over my blog and click where it says how to invite Jesus into your heart. And at the bottom of today's blog, I embedded a um, really cool little worship song. It's a, it's a new one for the blog, so I, I think you'll like it. It's, it's a fun song, and it tells the truth. Soli Deo Gloria, to God alone be the glory. Isaiah 43, listen to God who says, I am about to do something new. Are you as sick of this old world as I am? I don't know about you, but I stopped watching the news, even the local stations. It's bad out there, that's for sure. There is a lot of uncertainty. What is certain? is that God is still in control. He does have the whole world in his hands. This next chapter of Isaiah is an assurance chapter. He is assuring Israel that their Babylonian exile is not forever. The same assurance applies to us today. Our bondage to sin and religion will not last forever. He is about to do something new. Let's dig in. Isaiah 43. But now, O oh Jacob, listen to the Lord who created you. O oh Israel, the one who formed you says, do not be afraid for I have ransomed you. I have called you by name, you are mine. When you go through deep waters, I will be with you. 
When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I, have e I gave Egypt as a ransom for your freedom. I gave Ethiopia and Seba in your place. Others were given in exchange for you. I traded their lives for yours because you are precious to me. You are honored and I love you. Do not be afraid for I am with you. I will gather you and your children from the east and west. I will say to the north and south, bring my sons and daughters back to Israel from the distant corners of the earth. Bring all who claim me as their God, for I have made them for my glory. It was I who created them. Bring up the people who have eyes but are blind, who have ears but are deaf. Gather the nations together, assemble the peoples of the world. Which of their idols has ever foretold such things? Which can predict what will happen tomorrow? Where are the witnesses of such predictions? Who can verify that they spoke the truth? But you are my witnesses, O Israel, says the Lord. You are my servant. You have been chosen to know me, believe in me, and understand that I alone am God. There is no other God. There never has been, and there never will be. I, yes, I am the Lord, and there is no other savior. First, I predicted your rescue. Then I saved you and proclaimed it to the world. No foreign God has ever done this. You are witnesses that I am the only God, says the Lord. From eternity to eternity, I am God. No one can snatch anyone out of my hand. No one can undo what I have done. The Lord's promise of victory. This is what the Lord says, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. For your sakes, I will send an army against Babylon, forcing the Babylonians to flee in those ships they are so proud of. I am the Lord, your Holy One, Israel's creator and king. I am the Lord who opened a way through the waters, making a dry path through the sea. I called forth the mighty arm of Egypt with all its chariots and horses. I drew them beneath the waves and they drowned. Their lives snuffed out like a smoldering candle wick. But forget all that. It is nothing compared to what I am going to do, for I am about to do something new. See, I have already begun. Do you not see it? I will make a pathway through the wilderness. I will create rivers in a dry wasteland. The wild animals in the fields will thank me, the jackals and owls too, for giving them water in the desert. Yes, I will make rivers in the dry wasteland so my chosen people can be refreshed. I have made Israel for myself and they will someday honor me before the whole world. But dear family of Jacob, you refuse to ask for my help. You have grown tired of me, O Israel. You have not brought me sheep or goats for birds offerings. You have not honored me with sacrifices, though I have not burdened and wearied you with requests for grain offerings and frankincense. You have not brought me fragrant calamus or pleased me with the fat from sacrifices. Instead, you have burdened me with your sins 
and wearied me with your faults. I, yes, I alone will blot out your sins for my own sake, and I will never think of them again. Let us review the situation together, and you can present your case to prove your innocence. From the very beginning, your first ancestor sinned against me. All your leaders broke my laws. That is why I have disgraced your priests. I have decreed complete destruction for Jacob and shame for Israel. The end of Isaiah 43. There is no other God. Period. God never promised that we'd have a smooth, carefree life. On the contrary, he said we'd have trials and tribulations. Yet he assures us that he is always with us. And Jesus assured us that because we believe in him, we too have overcome the world. And that's actually in the gospel. So I have a study on that. You can click on over to my blog and check that one. He said that he would destroy Babylon and bring the Jews back to Israel to the promised land. Yes, that happened after the Babylonian exile. And the Jews were scattered after the destruction of Jerusalem in the temple in 70 AD. However, Jews are returning to Israel from all over the world right now. Watch the Amir Safati video at the bottom of my blog. So you need to click on over there and check that one out. Plus, I got really, two really good worship songs in there. In verse 9 through 10, God calls out all the nations to put their idols to non-existing gods up against his power of prophecy. Prophecies that have come true. Undoubtedly, the Israelites are his witnesses of his prophetic miracles. He alone is God. If you believe this, then you must stop venerating and praying to Mary and dead saints. That is idolatry, and God detests idolatry. Verse 11 is a proof text of the deity of Jesus. He is the Lord, and there is no other Savior. You cannot save yourself by good works or praying to Mary. A church cannot save you by robotic religious rituals. Only Jesus can save you. God is from eternity to eternity. No one can undo what he has done. <clears throat> if, you, if he forgave you of your sins when you repented, no one can undo that. Not even you. He is our redeemer. He rescued the Israelites from the Babylonians. He'll rescue you from sin and eternal damnation in hell. He's the only one who can. Then God tells us he's going to do something new. The whole concept of Jesus taking all our sins with him to the cross so that we wouldn't have to serve our guilty sentence is 100% new. That's why most of the Jews couldn't wrap their brains around it in their first century and still can't. God is offering each and every one of us, no matter what our ethnic or religious backgrounds are, a fresh start. Jesus washes us clean and makes us new in our rebirth. God doesn't want or need sacrifices. He wants the people's repentance. He doesn't want to see our good works until we have repented. Without repentance, we cannot have salvation. Finally, he confirms that he and he alone can blot out your sins. He says, quote, for my own sake and will never think of them again, unquote. That means once forgiven, always forgiven. 
On the cross, Jesus took away all our sins, past, present, and future. You are forgiven because of God's grace, nothing else, period. It's your choice. Where you spend eternity is your choice. It's a decision you need to make while you are still alive and coherent. Once you die, it will be too late if you did not choose to believe, have faith that Jesus is the Christ and he died taking your sins away forever and that he rose from the dead three days later. Repent of your sins. Stop sinning. Do a complete 180 degree turn in your life and surrender your life to him. Be baptized. Show the world and yourself that you have died to your old life and are born again in Christ and receive the Holy Spirit in your heart. So what are you waiting for? Invite Jesus into your heart and receive the gift and confident hope of eternal life. And don't forget, on the bottom of my blog, I dug out a, an oldie but a goodie. Fear not, for I am with you. We used to sing this in my church in Florida. I remember that. And a brand and a really brand new one's called Be All Right. He's got the whole world in his hands. And then in the bottom, very bottom, I have Amir Sarfati, All Eyes on Israel. So this is uh, God's prophecies are coming true right now. Um, so check on over, uh, the link to my blog is in the show notes. Um, and, um, also the link to how to invite Jesus into your heart. Solido Gloria to God alone be the glory. Are Catholics idolaters? According to God and the Bible, yes, they are. Idolatry is a worship, veneration, and or idolization of anyone or anything other than the one true God. That is the Trinity. God the Father, also known as Yahweh, that's the Jewish name for him. God the Son, Jesus, Yeshua, Hamashiach, the Messiah. That's Hamashiach is Messiah in Hebrew and Messiah is Greek, which means the anointed one or Christ. And then God, the Holy Spirit or ghost, that is the Trinity. Okay, there's no Mary in there. There's nobody else in the Trinity. There's three people and one God. God laid down this law clearly in the Ten Commandments found in Exodus 20, starting in verse 3. You must not have any other God, little g God, but me. Verse 4. You must not make for yourself an idol of any kind or an image of anything in the heavens or on the earth or in the sea. You must not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other little g-gods. The Jews had difficulty complying with this law, as do many world religions today, including Roman Catholicism. In these next two chapters of Isaiah, God reiterates that idolatry is foolish and that he alone is God, period. Let's dig in. Isaiah 44. But now listen to me, Jacob, my servant, Israel, my chosen one. 
The Lord who made you and helps you says, do not be afraid, O Jacob, my servant, O dear Israel, my chosen one, for I will pour out water to quench your thirst and to irrigate your parched fields. And I will pour out my spirit on your descendants and my blessing on your children. They will thrive like watered grass, like willows on a riverbank. Some will proudly claim I belong to the Lord, Others will say, I'm a descendant of Jacob. Some will write the Lord's name on their hands and will take the name of Israel as their own. The foolishness of idols. This is what the Lord says. Israel's king and redeemer, the Lord of heaven's armies, says, I am the first and the last. There is no other God who is like me. Let him step forward and prove to you his power. Let him do as I have done since ancient times when I established a people and explained its future. Do not tremble, do not be afraid. Did I not proclaim my purposes for you long ago? You are my witnesses. Is there any other God? No, there is no other rock, not one. How foolish are those who manufacture idols. These prized objects are really worthless. The people who worship idols don't know this, so they are all put to shame. Who but a fool will make his own God, an idol that cannot help him one bit? All who worship idols will be disgraced, along with all these craftsmen, mere humans who claim they can make a god, a little g-god. They may all stand together, but they will stand in terror and shame. The blacksmith at, stands at his forge to make a sharp tool, pounding and shaping it with all his might. His work makes him hungry and weak. It makes him thirsty and faint. Then the woodcarver measures, measures a block of wood and draws a pattern on it. He works with chisel and plane and carves it into a human figure. He gives it human beauty and puts it in a little shrine. He cuts down cedars. He selects cypress and the cypress and the oak. He plants the pine in the forest to be nourished by the rain. Then he uses part of the wood to make a fire. With it, he warms himself and bakes his bread. Then, yes, it's true, he takes the rest of it and makes himself a little g-god to worship. He makes an idol and bows down in front of it. He burns part of the tree to roast his meat and to keep himself warm. He says, oh, that fire feels good. Then he takes what's left and makes his little g-god a carved idol. He falls down in front of it, worshiping and praying to it. Rescue me, he says. You are my little G, God. Such stupidity and ignorance. Their eyes are closed and they cannot see. Their minds are shut and they cannot think. The person who made the idol never stops to reflect why it's just a block of wood. I burned half of it for heat and used it to bake my bread and roast my meat. How can the rest of it be a little g-god? Should I bow down to worship a piece of wood? The poor deluded fool feeds on ashes. He trusts something that can't help him at all, yet he cannot bring himself to ask, 
Is this idol that I'm holding in my hand a lie? Restoration for Jerusalem. Pay attention, O Jacob, for you are my servant, O Israel. I, the Lord, made you, and I will not forget you. I have swept away your sins like a cloud. I have scattered your offenses like the morning mist. Oh, return to me, for I have paid the price to set you free. Sing, O heavens, for the Lord has done this wondrous thing. Shout for joy, O depths of the earth. Break into song, O mountains and forests and every tree. For the Lord has redeemed Jacob and is glorified in Israel. This is what the Lord says, your Redeemer and Creator. I am the Lord who made all things. I alone stretched out the heavens. Who was with me when I made the earth? I expose the false prophets as liars and makes fools of fortune tellers. I cause the wise to give bad advice, thus proving them to be fools. But I carry out the predictions of my prophets. But uh, by them, I say to Jerusalem, people will live here again. And to the towns of Judah, you will be rebuilt. I will restore all your ruins. When I speak to the rivers and say, dry up, they will be dry. When I say of Cyrus, he is my shepherd, he will certainly do as I say. He will command, rebuild Jerusalem. He will say, restore the temple. The end of Isaiah 44. Prophecies fulfilled. Well, verse 3 was fulfilled at Pentecost. Verse 5, I belong to the Lord. Well, I belong to Jesus. Paul wrote in Ephesians 1.13, And now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit, whom he promised long ago. Okay, more prophecies fulfilled. Verse 22, Jesus took away our sins forever on the cross. They are gone. Once forgiven, always forgiven. Once saved, always saved. God never abandoned Israel. He punished them for a while, just like one punishes a little kid on a timeout. So Isaiah's book was written in 700 BC. So about 100 years later is where the Babylonian invasion happened. It's from 605 to 586 BC in three stages. Then um, in 539 BC, the fall of the Babylonian empire to Cyrus of Persia, which Cyrus is mentioned, he'll be mentioned again in 45. Um, In 458 BC, Cyrus sends the Jews back and the restoration begins back to um, Israel and Jerusalem. Now, in 332 and 323 BC, Alexander the Great conquers the Persian Empire. So Cyrus's empire is not going to last forever. And then um, what I covered yesterday, uh, talking about Hanukkah, was um, the Greek takeover of Israel um, and the Maccabean Revolt. That's from 323 to 198 BC. So, um, yeah, so, you know, 
kingdoms and empires don't last forever. <laughs> um, okay, well, God and Jesus are one and the same. In verse six, God states that he is the first and the last. And in the book of Revelation, John writes that Jesus said in Revelation 1, 8, I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord God, I am the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come, the almighty one. And then in Revelation 22, 13, Jesus reiterates that I am the alpha and the omega of the first and the last, the beginning and the end. So only God is 100% accurate 100% of the time. Anyone who doubts Bible prophecy is foolish. Idolatry is foolish. Idolatry is self-worship. Humans worshiping themselves. Idolatry is making gods in their own image. God made us in his image. Idolatry is also the worship of anything created by God or man, like this picture of a, of a lady kissing what supposedly is a relic of the crown of thorns that Jesus wore. Yeah, you got to take a look at this picture. It's over on my blog. The link is in the show notes. I'm like, yeah, right. Like that's really the, the crown of thorns that Jesus wore. Yeah, sure. Today, we also have the worship of the Mother Earth. Okay, those who adhere to the whole climate change fallacy are also idolaters. Likewise, they are also people who worship themselves. There are also people who worship themselves, prideful and vain, as well as those who worship money, power, luxury, and success. It's all idolatry. There is one God and one God only. Going on, Isaiah 45. This is what the Lord says to Cyrus, his anointed one. Now, Cyrus isn't even born yet. Right? Who, whose right hand he will empower. Before him, mighty kings will be paralyzed with fear. Their fortress gates will be opened, never to shut again. This is what the Lord says. I will go before you, Cyrus, and level the mountains. I will smash down gates of bronze and cut through bars of iron. And I will give you treasures hidden in the darkness, secret riches. I will do this so you may know that I am the Lord, the God of Israel, the one who calls you by name. And why have I called you for this work? Why did I call you by name when you did not know me? It is for the sake of Jacob, my servant, Israel, my chosen one. I am the Lord. There is no other God. I have equipped you for battle, though you don't even know me. So all the world from, uh, from east to west will know that there is no other God. I am the Lord, there is no other. I create the light and make the darkness. I said good times and bad times. I, the Lord, am the one who does these things. Open up, O heavens, and pour out your righteousness. Let the earth open wide so salvation and righteousness can sprout up together. I, the Lord, created them. What sorrow awaits those who argue with their creator? Does a clay pot argue with its maker? Does the clay dispute with the one who shapes it saying, stop, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> Does the pot exclaim, how clumsy can you be? How terrible it would be if a newborn baby said to its father, why was I born? Or if it said to its mother, why did you make me this way? This is what the Lord says, the Holy One of Israel and your creator. Do you question what I do for my children? Do you give me orders about the work of my hands? I am the one who made the earth and created people to live on it. With my hands, I stretched out the heavens. 
all the stars are at my command. I will raise up Cyrus to fulfill my righteous purpose and I will guide his actions. He will restore my city and free my captive people without seeking a reward. I, the Lord of heaven's armies, have spoken. Future conversions of the Gentiles. This is what the Lord says. You will rule the Egyptians, the Ethiopians, and the Sabians. They will come to you with all their merchandise, and it will be all yours. They will follow you as prisoners in chains. They will follow, fall to their knees in front of you and say, God is with you, and he is the only God. There is no other. Truly, O God of Israel, our Savior, you work in mysterious ways. All craftsmen who make idols will be humiliated. They will be, they will all be disgraced together. All means all. But the Lord will save the people of Israel with eternal salvation. Through whom? Jesus. Throughout everlasting ages, they will never again be humiliated and disgraced. For the Lord is God and he created the heavens and the earth and put everything in place. He made the world to be living, not to be a place of empty chaos. I am the Lord, he says, and there is no other. I publicly proclaim bold promises. I do not whisper obscurities in some dark corner. I would not have told the people of Israel to seek me if I could not be found. I, the Lord, speak only what is true and declare only what is right. Gather together and come, you fugitives from surrounding nations. What fools they are who carry around their wooden idols and pray to gods that cannot save. Consult together, argue your case, get together and decide what to say. You made these things known so long ago. What idol ever told you they would happen? Was it not I, the Lord? For there is no other God but me, a righteous God and Savior. There is none but me. Let all the world look to me for salvation, for I am God. There is no other. I have sworn by my own name. I have spoken in truth, or I will never go back on my word. Every knee will bend to me, and every tongue will declare alliance to me. The people will declare the Lord is the source of all my righteousness and strength, and all who were angry with him will come to him and be ashamed. In the Lord, all generations of Israel will be justified, and in him they will boast. It's the end of Isaiah 45. And we'll read more about Cyrus when we get to the book of Daniel, so I won't get into him now. What's important here is what will happen in the future. Every knee in the world will bow to Jesus. Paul acknowledges this in his letter to the Philippians. And we're in Philippians 2, starting in verse 6. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all names. All means all. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. 
and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The place of highest honor, no one or no thing can replace Jesus, not Mary, not any of the dead saints, not a pope or a preacher or any human or created being, period. Worshiping anything or anyone else but Jesus is idolatry and he detests idolatry. So the next time you're in church, if you look around and see statues of people made of wood, plaster, clay, stone, or metal, remember that God created the materials a human used to create the statue or image. Worshiping an inanimate object is idolatry, period. And dead people too. The good news is you can turn from idol worship, confess and repent of your sins, and Jesus will forgive you forever. If you openly declare that Jesus is your only Lord and Savior, you are redeemed. You are saved from spending eternity in hell, which, by the way, that's where you're going without Jesus. Because there is no such thing as purgatory. It's your choice. So what are you waiting for? Invite Jesus into your heart and receive the gift and confident hope of eternal life. If you don't know what to say, you don't know what to do, there's a prayer in the show notes, or you can click on over to my blog and click where it says, how to invite Jesus into your heart. And in the bottom of today's blog, I embedded three worship songs. You are God alone, the great I am, and in Christ alone, because that is the truth. Soli Deo Gloria, to God alone be the glory. Isaiah 46 to 49. Does Jesus have your name written in the palm of his hand? Have you ever looked back at your life and thought, what if? Usually think about those forks in the road where you made a life-changing decision. What if you took the other road? I have two of those that I think are significant. The first one was when I was in third grade. My parents told me to decide if I wanted to take piano or dance lessons. They couldn't afford both. I chose piano. What if I had chosen dance? I think I'd be a choreographer on Broadway or something like that. I'd also be skinny. The other big decision in my life happened soon after college at age 21. My parents were selling our house in New York and moving back to Puerto Rico. I had just gotten accepted into the management training program at Kmart and assigned to a store in New Jersey. I had to choose between beaches and palm trees or Kmart in the snow. Guess which I chose. Had I stayed up north, I probably would have gotten my master's degree in communication and ended up an advertising executive on Madison Avenue. <laughs> Who knows? What has this got to do with today's lesson? Well, in these next chapters, God laments to Israel, oh, have you listened to my commands? Which brings up another what if question for me. What if when a friend of mine told me that she, who was also raised Catholic, had become born again? I had, and I had asked her about it. I may not have been a prodigal for so many years as far from God as I can get. And you can ch check out my testimony at the bottom of my blog. Um, God has a lot to tell us in these next chapters, so let's dig in. 
Isaiah 46, false gods. Bel and Nebo, the gods of Babylon, bow as they are lowered to the ground. They are being hauled away on ox carts. The poor beasts stagger under the weight. Both the idols and their owners are bowed down. The gods cannot protect the people and the people cannot protect the gods, those little G gods. They go off into captivity together. Listen to me, descendants of Jacob, all you who remain in Israel. I have cared for you since you were born. Yes, I carried you before you were born. I will be your God throughout your lifetime until your hair is white with age. I made you and I will care for you and I will carry you along and save you. That applies to us too, you know. To whom will you compare me? Who is my equal? Some people pour out their silver and gold and hire a craftsman to make a little G-God from it. Then they bow down and worship it. They carry it around on their shoulders. And when they set it down, it stays there. It can't even move. And when someone prays to it, there is no answer. It can't rescue anyone from trouble. Don't forget this. Keep it in mind. Remember this, you guilty ones. Remember the things I have done in the past, for I alone am God. I am God, and there is none like me. Only I can tell you the future before it even happens. Everything I plan will come to pass, for I do whatever I wish. I will call a swift bird of prey from the east, a leader from a distant land, to come and do my bidding. I have said what I would do, and I will do it. Listen to me, you stubborn people who are so far from doing right, for I am ready to set things right, not in the distant future, but right now I am ready to save Jerusalem or Zion and show my glory to Israel. It's the end of Isaiah 46. Here's some points to ponder. Bel or B-E-L is short for Beelzebub, AKA Satan, whom Jesus mentioned in Luke 11. Nebo means speaker or prophet. The, the pagans expected their fake gods to actually talk to them and tell them what to do. Like a piece of wood or chunk of stone could talk. How silly. The Babylonians carried their gods. Gee, just like Catholic processions. You got to click on over to my blog and I found this picture of some parishioners carrying a doll of Jesus as a boy king for a processional. And then I embedded a tweet from uh, La Palma, which is a tiny island off the coast of Africa in the Canary Islands that belong to Spain. They have a volcano that's erupting and they took out a doll of Mary called the Virgin of the Pine, La Virgen del Pino, in hopes that she can stop the volcano. And this tweet was from October 19th of this year and the volcano is still erupting. And if you click on over to my blog and click where it says um, uh, last days of what's going on, I've been updating it um, with the latest news on the volcano. And you can also Google it and you can see what's going on. It's La Palma, um, which means the palm. Um, but um, it's, I mean, they're, they're exactly carrying this statue, this doll of Mary, who Mary the, with the baby Jesus too, of course, carrying the baby Jesus. And they're carrying this in a procession, hoping that she 
not Jesus, that she could stop this volcano from erupting. Now, um, I love Pastor Sandy Adams. He's, I, yeah, he, uh, I gotta definitely send him an email and thank him for his, his studies. Um, um, so he, uh, I have a quote here on him, but he brings up a great question. Um, quote, is your religion carrying you or are you carrying it? For some folks, Christianity is a burden they carry. It's a duty. It's rules to keep and expectations to meet. There's a pressure to perform. Realize Christianity is not what you can do for God, but what God has done and can do for us. It's not us carrying God, well, a silly, what a silly thought. It's God carrying us. Living in Christ without the Holy Spirit is like lying on a raft stuck in the sand. But when you're filled with the love of Christ, the tide rolls in and carries you out to sea. You're now riding on the resources of another. Christianity is trusting, not toiling. Resting, not rowing. I love the poem by Hudson Taylor, um, quoting the quote. Bear not a single care thyself. One is too much for thee. The work is mine and mine alone, thy work to rest in me. Is your religion carrying you or are you carrying your religion? Notice the kind of God idol makers create. It's a God they buy. They weigh silver on the scales. It's a God they design. They hire a certain goldsmith. It's a God they support. They bear it on their shoulders. It's a God they establish. They put it in its place. And notice he says, it shall not move. It stays in its set spot. There are people today who attend Christian churches and claim to worship the one true God. But in reality, they've created their own little G-God. It's nothing but an idol. They buy its loyalty with their tithes and good deeds. They design it around a lifestyle comfortable for them. They keep it up on the shoulder of their own service. It never moves from the place they've designated. It's sad. Their little G-God is one of their own and create and keep up and relegate to a manageable place in their lives. Whereas the true God is bought off by no one. He owns us. He's not created in our image. We're made in his. He doesn't need our support. We need him. And rather than tuck a, tucked away in a relegated spot, God's jurisdiction spills over into every area of our lives. It may be true that a self-made little G-God is easy to manage, but when you've got a problem, expect no help from him or her. Only the true God can answer and save us from trouble. Again, that's a quote by Pastor Sandy Adams. You can click on over to my blog and watch the whole, his whole lesson on these chapters. So I ask you again, is your religion carrying you or are you carrying it? Going on, Isaiah 47, Babylon will fall. Come down, virgin daughter of Babylon, and sit in the dust. For your days of sitting on a throne have ended. O oh, daughter of Babylonia, never again will you be the lovely princess, tender and delicate. Take heavy millstones and grind flour. Remove your veil and strip off your robe. Expose yourself to public view. You will be naked and burdened with shame. 
I will take vengeance against you without pity. Our Redeemer, whose name is the Lord of heaven's armies, is the Holy One of Israel. And that's Jesus. Oh, beautiful Babylon, sit now in darkness and silence. Never again will you be known as the Queen of Kingdoms. For I was angry with my chosen people and punished them by letting them fall into your hands. But you, Babylon, showed them no mercy. You oppressed even the elderly. You said, I will reign forever as queen of the world. You did not reflect on your actions or think about their consequences. Listen to this, you pleasure-loving kingdom. Living at ease and feeling secure, you say, I am the only one and there is no other. I will never be a widow or lose my children. Well, both these things will come upon you in a moment, widowhood and the loss of your children. Yes, these calamities will come upon you despite all your witchcraft and magic. You felt secure in your wickedness. No one sees me, you said, but your wisdom and knowledge have led you astray. And you said, I am the only one and there is no other. So disaster will overtake you and you won't be able to charm it away. Calamity will fall upon you and you won't be able to buy your way out. A catastrophe will strike you suddenly, one for which you are not prepared. Now use your magical charms. Use the spells you have worked at all these years. Maybe they will do something good. Maybe they could make someone afraid of you. All the advice you receive has made you tired. Where are all your astrologers, those star grazers, gazers who make predictions each month? Let them stand up and save you from what the future holds. But they are like straw burning in a fire. They cannot save themselves from the flame. You will get no help from them at all. Their, their heart is no place to sit for warmth. And all your friends, those with whom you've done business since childhood, will go their own ways, turning a deaf ear to your cries. That's the end of Isaiah 47. So like before, we have the prophecy of Babylon's fall in 539 BC and a future Babylon. And we find that in the book of Revelations, chapter 17 and 19. And you can click on over to my blog. I've got lessons on those. God also forbids astrology. Yes, even reading your horoscopes every day. I used to be so into that in high school and college. I could have gone down a, that dark road, but God stopped me somehow. Why go to the stars when you can go to the sun? S-O-N. Pastor Sandy Adams has another good point, he stated. In fact, Revelation 17.5 gives Babylon the name Mother of Harlots. The book of Revelation teaches that in the last days, there will be a revival of the old Babylonianism, the ancient paganism and idolatry. Ironically, for years, it was Roman Catholicism that kept much of this paganism arrived. Now, this is Sandy Adams' quote, not mine, Sandy Adams. It was incorporated into the worship and practices of the church, the veneration of Mary, the celibacy of priests, and the worship of the saints. Today, the paganism and idolatry of Babylon lives not only in Romanism, but in Eastern and New Age religions. It's really a lot more prevalent than you think. Believe me, I know I was part of it. Continuing. Okay, I'm gonna take a little break here and we'll be right back. Continuing with Isaiah 48 stubborn people. 
Listen to me, O family of Jacob, you who are called by the name of Israel and born into the family of Judah. Listen, you who take oaths in the name of the Lord and call on the God of Israel. You don't keep your promises, even though you call yourself the holy city and talk about depending on the God of Israel, whose name is the Lord of heaven's armies. Long ago, I told you what was going to happen, and suddenly I took action and all my predictions came true. For I know how stubborn and obstinate you are. Your necks are as unbending as iron. Your heads are as hard as bronze. Stiff neck and hard headed. That is why I told you what would happen. I told you beforehand what I was going to do. Then you could never say my idols did it. <laughs> my wooden image and metal god commanded it to happen. Yeah, right. You have heard my predictions and seen them fulfilled, but you refuse to admit it. Now I will tell you new things, secrets you have not yet heard. They are brand new, not things from the past. So you cannot say we knew all that all the time. Yes, I will tell you of things that are entirely new, things you've never heard before. For I know so well what traitors you are. You have been rebels from birth. Yet from my, for my own sake and for the honor of my name, I will hold back my anger and not wipe you out. I have refined you, but not as silver is refined. Rather, I have refined you in the furnace of suffering. I will rescue you for my sake, yes, for my own sake. I will not let my reputation be tarnished, and I will not share my glory with idols. Freedom from Babylon, verse 12. Listen to me, O family of Jacob, Israel, my chosen one. I alone am God, the first and the last. It was my hand that laid the foundations of the earth. Again, my right hand that spread out the heavens above. When I call out the stars, they all appear in order. Have any of your idols ever told you this? Come, all of you, and listen. The Lord has chosen Cyrus as his ally. He will use him to put an end to the empire of Babylon and to destroy the Babylonian armies. I have said it. I am calling Cyrus. I will send him on this errand and will help him succeed. Come closer and listen to this. From the beginning, I have told you plainly what would happen. And now the sovereign Lord and his spirit have sent me with this message. This is what the Lord says. Your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. I am the Lord, your God, who teaches you what is good for you and leads you along the paths you should follow. Oh, that you had listened to my commands, that you would have had peace flowing like a gentle river and righteousness rolling over you like waves in the sea. Your descendants would have been like the sands along the seashores, too many to count. There would have been no need for your destruction or for cutting off your family name. Yet even now, be free from your captivity. Leave Babylon and the Babylonians. Sing out this message. Shout it to the ends of the earth. The Lord has redeemed his servants, the people of Israel. They were not thirsty when they led them through the desert. He divided the rock and water gushed out for them to drink. But there is no peace for the wicked, says the Lord. That's the end of Isaiah 48. Again, God states that he is the first and the last, the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. 
God is the architect of the universe and he is not bound by time and all of his predictions have a hundred percent accuracy. And you can click on over to my blog and I've got links to the book of Revelation where uh, Jesus also uses the phrase, the first and the last alpha and omega, the beginning and the end. Next, let's see what Jesus has to say in Isaiah 49. Listen to me, all you distant lands. Pay attention, you who are far away. The Lord called me before my birth. From within the womb, he called me by name. He made my words of judgment as sharp as a sword. He has hidden me in the shadow of his hand. I am like a sharp arrow in his quiver. He said to me, you are my servant, Israel, and you will bring me glory. I replied, but my work seems so useless. I have spent my strength for nothing and to no purpose, yet I leave it all in the Lord's hands. I will trust God for my reward. And now the Lord speaks, the one who formed me in my mother's womb to be his servant, who commissioned me to bring Israel back to him. The Lord has honored me. And my God has given me strength. He says, you will do more than restore the people of Israel to me. I will make you a light to the Gentiles. And you will bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. The Lord, the Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel says to the one who was despised and rejected by the nations, to the one who is the servant of rulers, Kings will stand at attention when you pass by. Princes will also bow low because of the Lord, the faithful one, the holy one of Israel who has chosen you. The promises of Israel's restoration. Verse eight, this is what the Lord says. At just the right time, I will respond to you on that day of salvation. I will help you. I will protect you and give you to the people as my covenant with them. Through you, I will reestablish the land of Israel and assign it to its own people again. I will say to the prisoners, come out in freedom and to those in darkness, come into the light. They will be my sheep, grazing in green pastures and on hills that were previously bare. They will never hunger nor thirst. The searing sun will not reach them anymore for the Lord in his mercy will lead them. He will lead them beside cool waters. You heard that before, huh? Psalm 23. And I will make my mountains into level paths for them. The highways will be raised above the valleys. See, my people will return from far away from lands to the north and the west and from as far south as Egypt. And that's happening right now. Sing for joy, O heavens. Rejoice, O earth. Burst into song, O mountains, for the Lord has comforted his people and will have compassion on them in their suffering. Yet Jerusalem says, the Lord has deserted us. The Lord has forgotten us. Never. Can a mother forget her nursing child? Can she feel no love for the child she has born? But even if that were possible, I would not forget you. See, I have written your name on the palms of my hands. Always in my mind is a picture of Jerusalem's walls in ruin. Soon your descendants will come back and all who are trying to destroy you will go away. Look around, you see, for all your children will come back to you. As surely as I live, 
Yes, says the Lord. They will be like jewels or bridal ornaments for you to display. Even the most desolate parts of your abandoned land will soon be crowded with your people. Your enemies who enslaved you will be far away. The generations born in exile will return and say, we need more room. It's crowded here. Then you will think to yourself, who has given me all these descendants? For most of my children were killed and the rest were carried away to exile. I was left here all alone. Where did all these people come from? Who bore these children? Who raised them for me? This is what the sovereign Lord says. I see I will give a signal to the godless nations. They will carry your little sons back to you in their arms. They will bring your daughters on their shoulders. Kings and queens will serve you and care for all your needs. They will bow to the earth before you and lick the dust from your feet. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Those who trust in me will never be put to shame. Who can snatch the plunder of war from the hands of a warrior? Who can demand that a tyrant let his captives go? But the Lord says the captives of warriors will be released and the plunder of tyrants will be retrieved. For I will fight those who fight you and I will save your children. I will feed your enemies with their own flesh. They will be drunk with rivers of their own blood. And all the world will know that I, the Lord, am your savior and your redeemer, the mighty one of Israel. That's the end of Isaiah 49. So we here have the foretelling of Jesus's birth, which you, we can read that in Matthew Matthew 1, where um, uh, the angel gives uh, Joseph Jesus's name. Uh, Jesus grew up in the shadow of God's hand. He will be a light to the Gentiles. Salvation is not just for the Jews, but for the whole world. You can see the book of Acts. The day of salvation, verse 49.8, was quoted by Paul in 2 Corinthians 6.2. So God is a father with a mother's heart. God could never forget you. Are you a child of God? Does Jesus have your name written in the palm of his hand? Did you catch that what if question? If they had obeyed his commandments, they would have peace like a river. There is no peace apart from Jesus. You can come out of the strain and stress of the doing of good works and sacraments and land immediately into the peace of the done. Jesus did it all on the cross. All you have to do is believe, have faith that Jesus is the Christ and he died taking your sins away forever and that he rose from the dead three days later. Repent of your sins. Stop sinning. Do a complete 180 degree turn in your life and surrender your life to him. Be baptized. Show the world and yourself that you have died to your old life and are born again in Christ. Receive the Holy Spirit in your heart. So what are you waiting for? Invite Jesus into your heart and receive the gift and confident hope of eternal life. If you don't know what to say, you don't know what to do. There's a prayer in the show notes, or you can click on over to my blog and click where it says how to invite Jesus into your heart. And I um, was uh, saying, goes, there's a hymn called Peace Like a River, and I found it. They're embedded in the bottom of my blog. It's an oldie but a goodie. 
um, and um, it's an old Southern gospel tune. So you're gonna, it's 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 really it's it's really cute. It's short and sweet, but it tells the truth. And also in the bottom of my blog is my testimony, so you can actually take a look and see where I came from. Soli Deo Gloria to God alone be the glory. Isaiah 50 to 52, life is short, be thankful with joy and gladness. Have you ever been in a mess of your own making? Sure, there are tough times brought on by natural disasters in our fallen world, but what about the times, you know, the times you've neglected something then realized you shouldn't have? For instance, with my previous car, I never really paid attention to the tire pressure. I didn't realize that one front tire was getting dangerously low until I was merging from one highway to another and the tire just crumbled. Now I pay attention and I'm grateful for the sensors that warn me when a tire pressure is low. I immediately take it to the garage and have them check it. Isaiah wrote in 700 BC, it was a letter of warning for the Jews. The Babylonians wouldn't invade for another hundred years. You'd think that the people of Isaiah's day would have warned the next generation to obey God and his commandments. They didn't, and the whole city of Jerusalem paid for their sins. Let this be a warning for us today. Obey God or else. Let's dig in. We're in Isaiah 50. This is what the Lord says. Was your mother sent away because I divorced her? Did I sell you as slaves to my creditors? No, you were sold because of your sins. And your mother too was taken because of your sins. Why was no one there when I came? Why didn't you answer when I called? It is because I have no power to rescue? No, that's not the reason. For I can speak to the sea and make it dry up. I can turn rivers into deserts covered with dying fish. I dress the skies in darkness, covering them with clothes of mourning. The Lord's obedient servant. Guess who they're talking about? Verse four, the sovereign Lord has given me the, his words of wisdom so that I know how to comfort the weary. Morning by morning, he wakens me and opens my understanding to his will. The sovereign Lord has spoken to me and I have listened. I have not rebelled or turned away. I offered my back to those who beat me and my cheeks to those who pulled at my beard. That's exactly what's going to happen to Jesus. This was, this was written in 700 BC, 700 years before, you know, 733 years before it happened. I did not hide my face from mockery and spitting. Because the sovereign Lord helps me, I will not be disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like stone, determined to do his will. And I know that I will not be put to shame. He who gives me justice is near. Who will dare to bring charges against me now? Where are my accusers? Let them appear. See, the sovereign Lord is on my side. Who will declare me guilty? All my enemies will be destroyed, like old clothes that have been eaten by moths. Who among you fears the Lord and obeys his servant? If you are walking in darkness without a ray of light, Trust in the Lord and rely on your God. But watch out, you who live in your own light and warm yourself by your own fires. 
This is the reward you will receive from me. You will soon fall down in great torment. At the end of Isaiah 50. Now, Jerusalem's destruction was a mess of Israel's own making because they turned away from God. They didn't remember the sovereign power of God. Here we have a foretelling of Jesus' suffering on the cross. Though the people tried to humiliate Jesus on the cross, he kept his dignity. Are you in a mess of your own making? If you are walking in darkness, trust in the Lord your God. Seek the light. Torment awaits you who don't know the Lord and who live a prideful life. Continuing, Isaiah 51, a call to trust the Lord. Listen to me, all who hope for deliverance, all who seek the Lord. Consider the rock from which you were cut, the quarry from which you were mined. Yes, think about Abraham, your ancestor, and Sarah, who gave birth to your nation. Abraham was only one man when I called him, and when I blessed him, he became a great nation. The Lord will comfort Israel again and have pity on her ruins. Her desert will blossom like Eden, her barren wilderness like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found there. Songs of thanksgiving will fill the air. It's future. Listen to me, my people. Hear me, Israel, for my law will be proclaimed and my justice will become a light to the nations. That's Jesus. My mercy and justice are coming soon. My salvation is on the way. My strong arm will bring justice to the nations. All distant lands will look to me and wait in hope for my powerful arm. Look up to the skies above and gaze down on the earth below, for the skies will disappear like smoke and the earth will wear out like pieces of clothing. The people of the earth will die like flies, but my salvation lasts forever. My righteous rule will never end. Listen to me, you who know right from wrong, who, you who cherish my law in your hearts, do not be afraid of people's scorn, nor fear, fear their insults. For the moth will devour them as it devours clothing. The worm will eat them as it eats wool. But my righteousness will last forever. My salvation will continue from generation to generation. Wake up, wake up. O Lord, clothe yourself with strength, flex your mighty arm, rouse yourself as in the days of old when you slew Egypt, the dragon of the Nile. Are you not the same today, the one who dried up the sea, making a path of escape through the depths so that your people could cross over? This is the Exodus. Those who have been ransomed by the Lord will return. They will enter Jerusalem singing, crowned with everlasting joy. Sorrow and mourning will disappear and they will be filled with joy and gladness. I, yes, I am the one who comforts you. So why are you afraid of mere humans who wither like the grass and disappear? Yet you have forgotten the Lord, your creator, the one who stretched out the sky like a canopy and laid the foundations of the earth. Will you remain in constant dread of human oppressors? Will you continue to fear the anger of your enemies? Where is their fury and anger now? It's gone. Soon all you captives will be released, imprisoned, star imprisonment, starvation, and death will not be your fate. For I am the Lord your God who stirs up the sea, causing its waves to roar. 
My name is the Lord of heaven's armies. And I have put my words in your mouth and hidden you safely in my hand. I stretched out the sky like a canopy and laid the foundations of the earth. I am the one who says to Israel, you are my people. Wake up, O Jerusalem. You have drunk the cup of the Lord's fury. You have drunk the cup of terror, tipping out its last drops. Not one of your children is left alive to take your hand and guide you. These two calamities have fallen on you, desolation and destruction, famine and war. And who is left to sympathize with you? Who is left to comfort you? For your children have fainted and lie in the streets, helpless as antelopes caught in a net. The Lord has poured out his fury. God has rebuked them. But now listen to this, you afflicted ones who sit in a drunken stupor, though not from drinking wine. This is what the sovereign Lord, your God and defender says. See, I have taken the terrible cup from your hands. You will drink no more of my fury. Instead, I will hand that cup to your tormentors. Those who said we will trample you in the dust and walk on your backs. It's Isaiah 51. Do not doubt God. Here Isaiah is reminding the Israelites of what God did for them. He rescued them from slavery in Egypt, parted the Red Sea, and killed the pursuing Egyptian army, that's the evil dragon, in the sea. What, what we see will pass away, but God's salvation lasts forever. The righteous believers must stand strong. So, sorrow and mourning will disappear and we will be filled with joy and gladness. And that is echoed in the book of Revelation chapter 21. It's one of my favorite chapters as it is our confident hope. Right now, the world is drunk with fear, worry, and unbelief. There is an overwhelming spirit of fear over the whole world right now with this pandemic that doesn't seem to ever end. But I have no fear. I have no worry. How? Because I am a born-again believer and I have my complete trust in the sovereign God who is bigger than any pandemic, than any government entity, than even death. God is still in control. Going on, Isaiah 52. Wake up, wake up, O Zion, clothe yourself with strength. Put on your beautiful clothes, O holy city of Jerusalem, for unclean and godless people will enter your gates no longer. Rise from the dust, O Jerusalem, sit in the place of honor, remove the chains of slavery from your neck, O captive daughter of Zion. For this is what the Lord says, when I sold you into exile, I received no payment. Now I can redeem you without having to pay for you. That is what the sovereign Lord says. Long ago, my people chose to live in Egypt. Now they are oppressed by Syria. What is this? Asked the Lord. Why are my people enslaved again? Those who rule them shout in exultation. My name is blasphemed all day long, but I will reveal my name to my people and they will come to know its power. Then at last they will recognize that I am the one who speaks to them. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of the messenger who brings good news, the good news of peace and salvation, the news that God of Israel, that the God of Israel reigns. The watchmen shout and sing with joy for before their very eyes, they see the Lord returning to Jerusalem. Let the ruins of Jerusalem break into joyful song for the Lord 
has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has demonstrated his holy power before the eyes of all the nations. All the ends of the earth will see the victory of our God. Whose side do you want to be on? Don't you want to be on God's side? Listen to this. Get out, get out and leave your captivity where everything you touch is unclean. Get out of here and purify yourselves who carry home the sacred objects of the Lord. You will not leave in a hurry running for your lives for the Lord will go ahead of you. Yes, the God of Israel will protect you from behind. That was only the first half of Isaiah 52 because we're going to continue it tomorrow along with Isaiah 53, which talks about Jesus as a suffering servant. But first, Paul wrote, for it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God. And it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. As the scriptures tell us, anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Jew and Gentile are the same in this respect. They have the same Lord who gives generously to all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why the scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of the messengers who bring good news. Hear the good news. If you're not sure if you're saved or not, if you truly want to be born again and have the assurance of salvation, receive the Holy Spirit and get a one-way, non-stop ticket to heaven after you die or that you won't be left behind in the rapture, what you have to do is believe, repent, be baptized, receive the Holy Spirit, believe, have faith that Jesus is the Christ and he died taking your sins away forever and that he rose from the dead three days later. Repent of your sins, that is stop sinning. Do a complete 180 degree turn in your life and surrender your life to him. Be baptized, show the world and yourself that you have died to your old life and are born again in Christ and receive the Holy Spirit in your heart. So what are you waiting for? Invite Jesus into your heart and receive the gift and confident hope of eternal life. If you don't know what to say, you don't know what to do, there's a prayer in the show notes or you can click on over to my blog, click where it says, how to invite Jesus into your heart. In the bottom of today's blog, I got some very appropriate worship songs. Wake up, sleeper, rise up, and God so loved. Soli Deo Gloria, to God alone be the glory. Isaiah 54 to 56, delight in a new Jerusalem and God's promise of living water. Yesterday, we met Jesus, the Messiah, the suffering servant in Isaiah's moving prophecy. In today's chapter, the tone changes to hope and promise. Even though God's son was rejected by the people he came to save, God still has a love for Israel and Jerusalem. In the end, Israel has time to repent and come back to God, to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Furthermore, they will accept Jesus as Yeshua HaMashiach, the Jewish Messiah. As you will see, these promises and this hope is for all nations. Let's dig in. Isaiah 54, future glory for Jerusalem. Sing, O childless woman, you who have never given birth, 
Break into loud and joyful song, O Jerusalem, you who have never been in labor, for the desolate woman now has more children than the woman who lives with her husband, says the Lord. Enlarge your house, build an addition, spread out your home and spare no expense, for you will soon be bursting at the seams. Your descendants will occupy other nations and resettle the ruined cities. Fear not, you will no longer live in shame. Don't be afraid, there is no more disgrace for you. You will no longer remember the shame of your youth and the sorrows of widowhood. For your creator will be your husband. The Lord of heaven's armies is his name. He is your redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, the God of all the earth. For the Lord has called you back from your grief as though you were a young wife abandoned by her husband, says the Lord. For a brief moment, I abandoned you, but with great compassion, I will take you back. In a burst of anger, I turned my face away for a little while, but with everlasting love, I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. Just as I swore in the, at the, time, in the time of Noah that I would never again let a flood cover the earth, so now I swear that I will never again be angry and punish you. For the mountains may move and the hills disappear, but even then my faithful love for you will remain. My covenant of blessing will never be broken, says the Lord, who has mercy on you. O oh, storm-battered city, troubled and desolate, I will rebuild you with precious jewels and make your foundations from lapis lazuli. I will make your towers of sparkling rubies, your gates of shining gems, and your walls of precious stones. I will teach all your children, and they will enjoy great peace. You will be secure under a government that is just and Bear. Your enemies will stay far away. You will live in peace and terror will not come near. If any nation comes to fight you, it is not because I sent them. Whoever attacks you will go down in defeat. I have created the blacksmith who fans the coals beneath the forge and makes the weapons of destruction. And I have created the armies that destroy. But in that coming day, no weapon turned against you will succeed. You will silence every voice raised up to accuse you. These benefits are enjoyed by the servants of the Lord. Their vindication will come from me. I, the Lord, have spoken. Isaiah 54. The childless woman. Paul explains the first verses about the childless woman in his letter to the Gentiles in Galatia. So we're in Galatians 4, starting in verse 22. The scriptures say that Abraham had two sons, one from his slave wife and one from his freeborn wife. The son of his slave wife was born in a human attempt to bring about the fulfillment of God's promise. But the son of the freeborn woman was born as God's own fulfillment of his promise. These two women serve as an illustration of God's two covenants. The first woman, Hagar, represents Mount Sinai where people received the law that enslaved them. And now Jerusalem is just like Mount Sinai in Arabia because she and her children live in slavery to the law. But the other woman, Sarah, represents the heavenly Jerusalem. She is the free woman and she is our mother. As Isaiah said, rejoice, O childless woman, you who have never given birth, break into a joyful shout, you have never been in labor. But for the desolate woman now has more children than the woman who lives with her husband. And you, dear brothers and sisters, are children of the promise, just like Isaac. But you are now being persecuted by those who want you to keep the law. 
just as Ishmael, the child born by human effort, persecuted Isaac, the child born by the power of the spirit. It still does. But what do the scriptures say about that? Get rid of the slave and her son, for the son of the slave woman will not share the inheritance with the free woman's son. So, dear brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman. We are children of the free woman. Again, that was Galatians 4, 22 to 31. The promise to Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem, is described by John in Revelation 21. If you haven't, if you're not familiar with that, click on over to my blog and there's a link to that study. It is what we born-again believers base our confident hope, new heaven and the new earth. No weapon formed against it will prosper. Jesus certified that in Matthew 16, 18, when he said, I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Continuing, Isaiah 55, invitation to the Lord's salvation. Is anyone thirsty? Come and drink. Even if you have no money, come take your choice of wine or milk. It's all free. Why spend your money on food that does not give you strength? Why pay for food that does you no good? Listen to me and you will eat what is good. You will enjoy the finest food. Come to me with your ears wide open. Listen and you will find life. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. I will give you all the unfailing love I promised to David. See how I used him to display my power among the peoples? I made him a leader among the nations. You also will command nations you do not know and peoples unknown to you will come running to obey because I, the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, have made you glorious. Seek the Lord while you can find him. Call on him now while he is near. Let the wicked change their ways and banish the very thought of doing wrong. Let them turn to the Lord that he may have mercy on them. Yes, turn to the Lord for he will forgive generously. My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord, and my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. The rain and snow come down from heaven and stay on the ground to water the earth. They cause the grain to grow, producing seed for the farmer and bread for the hungry. It is the same with my word. I send it out and it always produces fruit. It will accomplish all I want it to and it will prosper everywhere I send it. You will live in joy and peace. The mountains and hills will burst in song. into song and the trees of the field will clap their hands. Where once there were thorns, cypress trees will grow. Where nettles grow, myrtles will sprout up. These events will bring great honor to the Lord's name. They will be an everlasting sign of his power and love. That's Isaiah 55. Water, wine, and milk. Okay, so I'm going to borrow from one of the studies that's available in the free version Bible app. And I read, quote, these Three drinks match our deepest needs. We are all needy and must be taken care of by a loving yet almighty God. Water relates to our need for refreshment. When you are most thirsty and most desperate and totally dehydrated, water is what you want and nothing else. 
God invites us to receive refreshment, restoration, reviving, and a new beginning, which he only can give. Milk relates to our need for ongoing nourishment and growth. When you want the little baby to grow day after day, you give it milk again and again. God is not just for thirsty emergencies, but even more for sustainable health. He invites us not only to come alive with water, but also to be stable and strong with milk. Wine relates us our, relates to our need for excitement, joy, and celebration. We want to be truly alive. Yes, we need to be strong and stable, but that is not all we need to be alive. No matter how unemotional, laid back, and poker-faced we may look like to others, there is an excited child inside every one of us that God wants to bring to life for joy and delight, for shouting and singing and dancing and playing and skipping and running and jumping and laughing. When we come to God, we will find that in our relationship with him, we will receive more than resuscitation or even growth. We will find that a relationship with God in Christ brings excitement and joy. You have that relationship with Christ? Oof. That's from the Insights from Isaiah Bible Plan that's available in the free YouVersion Bible app. Jesus is our living water. He told us this when he was in Jerusalem for the Feast of Shelters or Tabernacles. We find this story in John 7, starting in verse 37. On the last day, the climax of the festival, Jesus stood and shouted to the crowds, anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For the scriptures declare rivers of living water will flow from his heart. When he said living water, he was speaking of the spirit who would be given to everyone believing in him. But the spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet entered into his glory. And um, uh, I, in my blog, you can click on over there. The link is in the show notes. There's a snippet from my favorite Jesus movie um, on this chapter where he's actually saying that. Um, uh, and it catches a little bit too, but the part before it. But the last chapter of the Bible has this verse in Revelation 22, verse 17. The spirit and the bride say, come, let anyone who hears this say, come, let anyone who was thirsty come. Let anyone who desires drink freely from the water of life. Come back to God. Jesus is our leader and commander. From whom do you take orders? Who do you obey? Seek the Lord. The Bible is available in many languages, and you can click on over my blog and check out some of the Bible translators. Theology is the study of God. We should all be theologians. However, we can never fully know God. Verse 8 explains this. Nevertheless, what's over your head is still under God's feet. And um, one of my favorite Proverbs is Proverbs 3, verses 5 through 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. We should seek God because he is the only source of truth and health. This world can't provide the answers we need. It certainly can't provide the assurances God can. Putting your hope in money, power, position, technology, government, or human ability leads nowhere. Trust God and put your hope firmly and fully in him. 
We must read the Bible, study the Bible, memorize passages, repeat passages, and share passages. So that's what I do. You got to follow me on social media. Follow me on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Um, and because that's what I do early in the morning. That's why I'm, I'm sharing the, uh, the Bible passages. Consume it as if your starving soul depended on it to live because it does. Going on, one more chapter tonight. Isaiah 56. Blessings for all nations. This is what the Lord says. Be just and fair to all. Do what is right and good. For I am coming soon to rescue you and to display my righteousness among you. Blessed are all those who are careful to do this. Blessed are those who honor my Sabbath days of rest and keep themselves from doing wrong. Don't let foreigners who commit themselves to the Lord say, the Lord will never let me be part of his people. And don't let the eunuchs say, I'm a dried up tree with no children and no future. For this is what the Lord says, I will bless those eunuchs who keep my Sabbath days holy and who choose to do what pleases me and commit their lives to me. I will give them within the walls of my house a memorial and a name far greater than sons and daughters could give. For the name I give them is an everlasting one. I will never disappear. I will also bless the foreigners who commit themselves to the Lord, who serve him and love his name, who worship him and do not desecrate the Sabbath day of rest and who hold fast to my covenant. I will bring them to my holy mountain of Jerusalem and will fill them with joy in my house of prayer. I will accept their burnt offerings and sacrifices because my temple will be called a house of prayer for all nations. For the sovereign Lord who brings back the outcasts of Israel says, I will bring others too besides my people Israel. Sinful leaders condemned, come wild animals of the field, come wild animals of the forest, come and devour my people for the leaders of my people the Lord's watchmen, his shepherds are blind and ignorant. They are like silent watchdogs that give no warning when danger comes. They love to lie around sleeping and dreaming like greedy dogs. They are never satisfied. They are ignorant shepherds all following their own path and intent on personal gain. Come, they say, let's get some wine and have a party. Let's all get drunk. Then tomorrow we'll do it again and have an even bigger party end of Isaiah 56, all nations. And that's interesting about all nations. Today, December 3rd, 2021, the UN, the United Nations, or as um, some of the people said, the United nothing, um, or uh, what is Amir, Amir um, um, I forgot, I forgot, he calls it another, another thing. Unnecessary, the UN, <laughs> unnecessary. Um, they voted overwhelmingly that the Temple Mount belongs to the Muslims. And I have a video that explains all that. And um, it's, it's amazing. It is amazing. Um, and um, well, if the line, my temple will be called the house of prayer sounds familiar, it's because that's what Jesus exclaimed as he cleared the temple of the thieves and the money changers. And you can find that in the Gospel of Luke and actually in all the Gospels. Um, uh, the last paragraph brought to mind what Jesus said about the last days. And this is from Matthew 24, starting in verse 37. 
when the son of man returns, it will be like it was in Noah's day. In those days before the flood, the people were enjoying banquets and parties and weddings right up to the time Noah entered his boat. People didn't realize what was going to happen until the flood came and swept them away. That is the way it will be when the son of man comes. Two men will be working together in the field. One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding flour at the mill. One will be taken, the other left. So you too must keep watch. For you don't know what day your Lord is coming. Understand this, if a homeowner knew exactly when a burglar was coming, he would keep watch and not permit his house to be broken into. You also must be ready all the time for the son of man will come when least expected. Oh, so that was Matthew 24 verses 37 to 44. Now verses 40 and 41 are describing the rapture. That's when two men will be working together in the field and one will be taken, the other left and etc. That's when Jesus comes in the clouds to call up his born again believers. Look around the world today and the signs are there. He can come at any moment. The question is, are you ready? Will you get left behind? So if you're not sure if you're saved or not, if you truly want to be born again and have the assurance of salvation, receive the Holy Spirit, that living water, and get a one-way nonstop ticket to heaven after you die, or that you won't be left behind at the rapture, what you have to do is invite Jesus into your heart and receive the gift and confident hope of eternal life. And if you don't know what to say, you don't know what to do, there's a prayer in the show notes, or you can click on over to my blog and click where it says, how to invite Jesus into your life. And um, I, uh, a few months ago, I did a series. Uh, it's a fictional series of, of little vignettes, scenarios of what it would be like for various groups of people uh, when they get left behind at the rapture. Some people will get it and some people won't. The people who get it, um, they're gonna, I mean, they'll be, they'll become born again then, but they still have to go through the great tribulation and that's not going to be any fun. So if you want to see what it might look like, it might be like, check it out. Links in my blog. Soli Deo Gloria, to God alone be the glory. Isaiah 57 and 58. Are you taking Almighty God for granted? How do you worship God? Do you worship God or do you take him for granted? I did for a long time. I knew he existed. I knew Jesus was his son and part of the Holy Trinity, but I had better things to do. Things that I thought were more important. Lots of things that I put first. You can say I worship them before God like career, money, travel, entertainment, partying, and having a good time. I didn't need God. I was self-sufficient. I was doing okay. That is until I was stuck in an awful spot and the only place I could look for help was up. That's when God started turning my life around. Too bad I fought him all the way. And you can check out my testimony. It's in the bottom of my blog if you haven't heard it yet. In these next two chapters, Isaiah wrote to the Jews of his day what God wants them to hear and understand. Back then, God just wanted the people to obey the laws that he gave Moses. The laws should have been taught from generation to generation. If you obeyed, you were a godly person. You followed godly paths. You walked with God. That's all God wanted, obedience. 
Today, because Jesus took all our sins with him to the cross, it's through him that we have salvation. Let's dig in, Isaiah 57. Good people pass away. The godly often die before their time, but no one seems to care or wonder why. No one seems to understand that God is protecting them from the evil to come. For those who follow godly paths will rest in peace when they die. Let's stop here a minute. Um, this may be talking about the rapture of the born again Christians when Jesus will call us up to heaven with the sound of the trumpet. We will be spared his wrath that's coming in the great tribulation. I also think of the two dear friends whom I lost at the beginning of this year and the anniversaries of their deaths are coming up. I am glad that they aren't around to see the evil and lawlessness that's enveloped in the world right now. They followed godly paths. Jesus is the way. And they are resting in his peace. I know that, sure. Going on. Idolatrous worship condemned, verse three. But you, come here, you witches' children, you offspring of adulterers and prostitutes. Whom do you mock, making faces and sticking out your tongues? You children of sinners and liars, you worship your idols with great passion beneath the oaks and under every green tree. You sacrifice your children down in the valleys among the jagged rocks and the cliffs. Your gods, uh, the little g-gods, are the smooth stones in the valleys. You worship them with liquid offerings and grain offerings. They, not I, are, you in, are your inheritance. Do you think all this makes me happy? You have committed adultery on every high mountain. There you have worshipped idols and you have been unfaithful to me. You have put pagan symbols on your doorposts and behind your doors. You have left me and climbed into bed with these detestable gods. You have committed yourselves to them. You love to look at their naked bodies. You have gone to Molech with olive oil and many perfumes, sending your agents far and wide, even to the world of the dead. You grew weary in your search, but you never gave up. Desire gave you renewed strength and you did not grow weary. Are you afraid of these idols? Do they terrify you? Is that why you have lied to me and forgotten me and my words? It is because of my long silence that you no longer fear me. Oh, I'm sorry, let me read that again. Is it because of my long silence that you no longer fear me? Hmm. Now I will expose your so-called good deeds. None of them will help you. Let's see if your idols can save you when you cry to them for help. Why a puff of wind can knock them down, earthquake or volcano or um, flood. Um, yeah, if you just breathe on them, they'll fall over, hurricane. But whoever trusts in me will inherit the land and possess my holy mountain. God forgives the repentant. Verse 14, God says, rebuild the road, clear away the rocks and stones so my people can return from captivity. The high and lofty one who lives in eternity, the holy one says this, I live in the high and holy place with those whose spirits are contrite and humble. I restore the crushed spirit of the humble and revive the courage of those with repentant hearts. For I will not fight against you forever. I will not always be angry. 
if I were, all people would pass away. All the souls I have made, I was angry. So I punished these greedy people. I withdrew from them, but they kept going on their own stubborn way. I have seen what they do, but I will heal them anyway. I will lead them. I will comfort those who mourn, bringing words of praise to their lips. May they have abundant peace before near and far, says the Lord who heals them. But those who still reject me are like the restless sea, which is never still but continually turns up mud and dirt. There is no peace for the wicked, says my God. That's the end of Isaiah 57. Well, idolatry continues today. The Israelites' worst sin was worshiping the false gods of the surrounding nations as well as inanimate objects. Those non-existing gods couldn't help the people back then and they certainly can't help you today. Venerating and praying to dead people like Mary and the saints gets you nowhere. They are not an intercessor to Jesus. Jesus is our intercessor to God the Father. That's how it works. Anything is fake religion. Anything else is fake religion. The evil worship of Molech. One of the fake gods was Molech. This worship was really the worst. They burned children and played drums so that people wouldn't hear the crying. Today, women revere their lifestyles more than the sanctity of life. They fool around and get pregnant, then sacrifice the baby for their career, schooling, vanity, and or pride. In other words, today's abortion is like the worship of Molech, except you can't hear the baby crying as the abortionist is ripping him or her apart. There is no peace for the wicked. However, the good news is that no matter what wicked sin you've committed, if you repent, ask Jesus to forgive you, he will. Then you're good to go. First, you have to admit that you're a sinner. Second, ask God to forgive you. Believe me. You will feel a huge weight lifted from your shoulders, but it has to be done with sincerity and wholeheartedly. Continuing Isaiah 58, true and false worship. Shout with the voice of a trumpet blast. Shout aloud. Don't be timid. Tell my people Israel of their sins. Yet they act so pious. They come to the temple every day and seem delighted to learn all about me. They act like a righteous nation that would never abandon the laws of its God. They ask me to take action on their behalf, pretending they want to be near me. We have fasted before you, they say. Why aren't you impressed? We have been very hard on ourselves and you don't even notice. I will tell you why I respond. It's because you are fasting to please yourselves. Even while you fast, you keep oppressing your workers. What good is fasting when you keep on fighting and quarreling? This kind of fasting will never get you anywhere with me. You humble yourselves by going through the motions of penance, bowing your heads like reeds, bending in the wind. You dress in burlap and cover yourselves with ashes. Is this what you call fasting? Do you really think this will please the Lord? No, this is the kind of fasting I want. Free those who are wrongly imprisoned. Lighten the burden of those who work for you. Let the oppressed go free and remove the chains and bind people. Share your food with the hungry and give shelter to the homeless. Give clothes to those who need them and do not hide from relatives who need your help. Then your salvation will come like the dawn. Your wounds will quickly heal, your godliness will lead you forward, and the glory of the Lord will protect you from behind. 
Then when you call, the Lord will answer. Yes, I am here. He will quickly reply. Remove the heavy yoke of oppression. Stop pointing your finger and spreading vicious rumors. Feed the hungry and help those in trouble. Then your light will shine out from the darkness and the darkness around you will be as bright as noon. The Lord will guide you continually, giving you water when you are dry and restoring your strength. You will be like a well-watered garden, like an ever-flowing spring. Some of you will rebuild the deserted ruins of your cities. Then you will be known as a rebuilder of walls and a restorer of homes. Keep the Sabbath day holy. Don't pursue your own interests on that day. Enjoy the Sabbath and speak of it with delight as the Lord's holy day. Honor the Sabbath and everything you do on that day and don't follow your desires or talk idly. Then the Lord will be your delight. I will give you great honor and satisfy you with the inheritance I promised to your ancestor Jacob. I, the Lord, have spoken. It's the end of Isaiah 58. Now the dictionary defines pious as devoutly religious and making a hypocritical display of virtue. <laughs> That's Roman Catholicism. And believe me, I grew up in it. I mean, you can click on over to my blog and actually take a look at my my um, formal com first communion picture. Oh, I look so pious. All the religious rites and rituals, the sacraments, confessing to a priest who has no power to grant absolution, only Jesus has that power, going to mass and responding like robots, that's false pious worship. According to Isaiah, God hates that. He doesn't want that. He wants truly repentant hearts. Good works. Good works are great. In fact, that's one thing Catholic Charities does well. Nevertheless, understand this. We are not saved by doing good works. We are saved to do good works. Paul wrote in Ephesians 2, uh, starting in verse 8, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Remember back in Isaiah's day, all the people had to do was obey the Ten Commandments and the laws of Moses? Actually, they were God's laws given through Moses. And Jesus told us, Matthew 22, starting in verse 37, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, verse 10, and I was reading in the New Living Translation. Uh, the verse 10 in the um, New King James Version reads, you shall raise up the foundations of many generations and you shall be called the repairer of the breach or gap and the restorer of the streets or paths to dwell in. That was homes. Now, um, if you're looking at a New King James version of the Bible, the words repair of the breach and restore of the streets are capitalized. Now, that means it's referring to Jesus. Sin creates a gap, a canyon between us and God. Last year, I visited the Grand Canyon for the first time. Truly, no picture does it justice. <laughs> oh, the flood did it, by the way. Um, now imagine a gap, a breach, as big as the Grand Canyon between you and God. There's no way that you alone, even with all the money and all the best engineers, 
the, in the world could bridge this gap. It's too great. The good news is that Jesus did it for us. He is the path and the way. Only through Jesus can you find forgiveness for your sins and get right with God, period. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So what do you need to do to stop taking God for granted? Well, you start with believing, have faith that Jesus is the Christ and he died taking your sins away forever and that he rose from the dead three days later. Repent of your sins, that is stop sinning. Do a complete 180 degree in your life and surrender your life to him. Be baptized, show the world and yourself that you have died to your old life and are born again in Christ. Receive the Holy Spirit in your heart. So what are you waiting for? Invite Jesus into your heart and receive the gift and confident hope of eternal life. And in the bottom of today's vlog, I have a song that I, uh, that I dug up. It's an oldie but a goodie. It's called The Great Divide. And it, it it's just telling of what it is. There is a cross to bridge the great divide. And my testimony's at the bottom. So... Uh, please click on over to my blog and check it out. Um, and if you don't know what to say, you don't know what to do, there's a prayer in the show notes, or you can click on over to my blog and click where it says how um, how to invite Jesus into your heart. Soli Deo Gloria, to God alone be the glory. Isaiah 59 and 60. How to secure life in heaven in the fantastic glory of God. No matter how much we try to deny it, no matter how much we try to sweep our sins under the rug, no matter how many acts of goodness we do, our sin blocks salvation. Our sin separates us from God. The more we sin, the further away we get from God's glory. We fall deeper and deeper into the darkness of this world. In these next two chapters, Isaiah lists 32 sins that Israel and we have committed and still, and are still committing. Nevertheless, he then tells us of the hope found only in Messiah. How many sins can you pick out? Let's dig in. Isaiah 59, warning against sin. Listen, the Lord's arm is not too weak to save you, nor is his ear too deaf to hear your call. It's your sins that have cut you off from God because of your sins, he has turned away and will not listen anymore. Your hands are the hands of murderers. Your fingers are filthy with sin. Your lips are full of lies and your mouth spews corruption. No one cares about being fair and honest. The people's lawsuits are based on lies. They conceive evil deeds and then give birth to sin. They hatch deadly snakes and weave spider's webs. Whoever eats their eggs will die. Whoever cracks them will hatch a viper. Their webs can't be made into clothing and nothing they do is productive. All their activity is filled with sin and violence is their trademark. Their feet run to do evil and they rush to commit murder and they think only about sinning. Misery and destruction always follow them. They don't know where to find peace or what it means to be just and good. They have mapped out crooked roads and no one follow, 
No one who follows them knows a moment's peace. So there is no justice among us, and we know nothing about right living. We look for light, but find only darkness. We look for bright skies, but walk in gloom. We grope like the blind along a wall, feeling our way like people without eyes. Even at brightest noontime, we stumble as though it were dark. Among the living, we are like the dead. We growl like hungry bears. We moan like mournful doves. We look for justice, but it never comes. We look for rescue, but it is far away from us. For our sins are piled up before God and testify against us. Yes, we know what sins, sinners we are. We know we have rebelled and have denied the Lord. We have turned our backs on our God. We know how unfair and oppressive we have been, carefully planning our deceitful lies. Our courts oppose the righteous and justice is nowhere to be found. Truth stumbles in the streets and honesty has been outlawed. Yes, truth is gone. And anyone who renounces evil is attacked. The Lord, especially on social media, the Lord looked and was displeased to find there was no justice. He was amazed to see that no one intervened to help the oppressed. So he himself stepped in to save them with his strong arm and his justice sustained him. He put on righteousness as his body armor and placed the helmet of salvation on his head. He clothed himself with a robe of vengeance and wrapped himself in a cloak of divine passion. He will repay his enemies for their evil deeds. His fury will fall on his foes. He will pay them back even to the ends of the earth. In the West, people will respect the name of the Lord. In the East, they will glorify him. For he will come like a raging flood tide driven by the breath of the Lord. The Redeemer will come to Jerusalem to buy back those in Israel who have turned from their sins, says the Lord. And this is my covenant with them, says the Lord. My spirit will not leave them, and neither will these words I have given you. They will be on your lips and on the lips of your children and your children's children forever. I, the Lord, have spoken. The end of Isaiah 59. The good news. The good news is, is God's arm is long enough to reach you. Given that, you have to make the decision to repent. Turn away from your sinful life. Stop sinning. You have to be sincere about your wanting to stop walking in darkness and start walking in the light of the Lord. Um, as Sandy Adams says, God's ear is tuned to the frequency of sincerity. All in all, as stated here, as long as you are sinning, he won't hear your pleas. Are you a child of God or a friend of the world? This snippet from one of the studies I'm using found in the free YouVersion Bible app explains, okay, quote, if we claim to be children of God, but still live in sin, then we are actually lying. God cannot work miraculously and wonderfully if we are still living in sin. Let us learn to live in holiness so that God can use us and we can respond to the salvation given by him correctly. That's from the Bible study, the book of Isaiah by Bethany Church in Singapore. And you want to learn more about that, it's in the free version Bible app. When you become born again, you are cleansed from all your sin, past, present, and future. However, we have to continuously strive to be Christ-like. 
We must strive for what is righteous and turn from what is evil. Even so, you will be mocked, victimized, persecuted, and attacked. That's why we must rely on the Holy Spirit to get us through. We must stand firm um, in our faith and not waver one bit. The armor of God. <laughs> Here's where Paul got the inspiration for his armor of God lesson to prepare us for our battles against the enemy. That's in um, uh, Ephesians 6. And Pastor Sandy Adams clarifies this. So God is dressed for the occasion. I'm quoting Sandy Adams. He put on righteousness. Jesus committed to what was right, and he had a helmet of salvation. He was determined to do what it would take to save us, and we should dress like Jesus. Ephesians 6 lists the believer's armor. Paul includes both the breastplate of righteousness and the helmet of salvation. But what he doesn't add to our wardrobe are these other two pieces of armor, garments of vengeance, and the cloak of zeal and why romans 12 19 tells us vengeance is mine i will repay says the lord the zeal of judgment is god's prerogative not ours at jesus's first coming he was dressed up to save he wore the breastplate of righteousness and the helmet of salvation but at his second coming he'll be wearing his combat fatigues he's coming he's coming to judge in the garments of vengeance and zeal as a cloak, unquote. Going on, Isaiah 60, future glory. Arise, Jerusalem, let your light shine for all to see, for the glory of the Lord rises to shine on you. Darkness as black as night covers all the nations of the earth, but the glory of the Lord rises and appears over you. All nations will come to your light. Mighty kings will come to see your radiance. Look and see, for everyone is coming home. Your sons are coming from distant lands. Your little daughters will be carried home. Your eyes will shine and your heart will thrill with joy. For merchants from around the world will come to you. They will bring you the wealth of many lands. Vast caravans of camels will converge on you, the camels of Midian and Ephah. The people of Sheba will bring gold and frankincense and will come worshiping the Lord. The flocks of Kedar will be given to you, the rams of uh, Nebaioth will be brought for my altars. I will accept their offerings and I will make my temple glorious. So this is going to be a fourth temple, a fourth temple, the final temple. And what do I see flying like clouds to Israel, like doves to their nests? They are ships from the ends of the earth, from lands that trusted me, led by the great ships of Tarshish. They are bringing the people of Israel home from far away, carrying their silver and gold. They will honor the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has filled you with splendor. Foreigners will come to rebuild your towns and their kings will serve you. For though I have destroyed you in my anger, I will now have mercy on you through my grace. Your gates will stay open day and night and receive the wealth of many lands. The kings of the world will be led as captives in a victory procession. For the nations that refuse to serve you will be destroyed. The glory of Lebanon will be yours, the forests of cypress, fir, and pine to beautify my sanctuary. My temple will be glorious. Again, this is the fourth temple. The descendants of your tormentors will come and bow before you. Those who despise you will kiss your feet. They will call you the city of the Lord and Zion of the Holy One of Israel. 
though you were once despised and hated with no one traveling through you, I will make you beautiful forever, a joy to all generations. Powerful kings and mighty nations will satisfy your every need, as though you were a child nursing at the breast of a queen. You will know at last that I, the Lord, am your savior and your redeemer, the mighty one of Israel or Zion. I will exchange your bronze for gold, your iron for silver, your wood for bronze, and your stones for iron. I will make peace your leader and righteousness your ruler. Violence will disappear from your land and desolation and destruction of war will end. Salvation will surround you like city walls and praise will be on the lips of all who enter there. No longer will you need the sun to shine by day nor the moon to give its light by night for the Lord your God will be your everlasting light and your God will be your glory. Your sun will never set, your moon will not go down for the Lord will be your everlasting light. Your days of mourning will come to an end. All your people will be righteous. They will possess their land forever for I will plant them there with my own hands in order to bring myself glory. The smallest family will become a thousand people and the tiniest group will become a mighty nation. At the right time, I, the Lord, will make it happen. The end of Isaiah 60. Darkness, the absence of light. Well, evil is the absence of God, like darkness is the absence of light. When Jesus comes back to fight Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet, he wins. There will be no more darkness. We won't need the sun, moon, or stars as Jesus himself will be our light. That's his kingdom come. The Jews from all nations will flock to Jerusalem. It will be a new heaven and a new earth along with a new Jerusalem. When they come, they will bring gifts. Notice that they're slightly different than what the Magi brought baby Jesus. So Pastor Sandy Adams explains, quote, this was partially fulfilled when the Jews returned from Babylon, but it'll be repeated in the last days. It's also interesting that when these Jews return, they'll come bringing gifts for the Messiah, King Jesus. And note the two gifts they bring, gold and incense or frankincense. When Jesus was born, the wise men brought gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Here, the same gifts are given with the exception of the myrrh. And why? Myrrh was an embalming fluid. It was given to a man who was born to die. But in the kingdom age, Jesus' death is behind him. He was raised to never die again, unquote. The Jews are returning to Israel right now. And at the bottom of my blog, you can check out the video from Amir Sarfati from Behold Israel. And he kind of explains, you know, how, um, uh, how the people are coming back. Um, to Israel from all over the world. Right now, right this moment, the great tribulation will purify the Jews as told in Psalm 2. Psalm 2, starting in verse 10. Now then, you kings, act wisely. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with reverent fear and rejoicing with trembling. Submit to God's royal son, Jesus the Messiah, or he will become angry. And you will be destroyed in the midst of all your activities, for his anger flares up in an instant. But what joy for all who take refuge in him. For anyone to take refuge in Jesus, we must first admit that we need him. We need his salvation, a salvation that is only found through him. We need his peace, his joy, his comfort. We get those when he gives 
us believers the Holy Spirit. And you know something? Jesus didn't suffer torture and die so we could have religion. He died so he could have a relationship with you. And he told us in Revelation 3.20, look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. Jesus is knocking at the door of your heart. Isn't it about time you let him in? What are you waiting for? Invite Jesus into your heart and receive the gift and confident hope of eternal life. You don't know what to say. You don't know what to do. Click on over to my blog. Uh, there's a prayer in the show notes, or you can click on over to my blog and click where it says how to invite Jesus into your heart. And again, at the bottom of my blog, like those who dream, by, uh, a teaching by Amir Sarfati. Um, and it's really good. It's really good. Soli Deo Gloria, to God alone be the glory. Isaiah 61 and 62. What was the true verse that actually got Jesus in trouble? It's brought to the edge. We find the story in Luke 4, verses 14 to 28. Jesus had just spent 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness led by the Holy Spirit. It being tempted by Satan, and of course he didn't fall for Satan's deceptions. He then started going from town to town, synagogue to synagogue, preaching the good news. Then he arrived in Nazareth, where he was raised. Remember, that's where both Mary and Joseph were from. They had returned to Nazareth once God told them that King Herod had died and it was safe to return to Israel. And that was in Matthew 2. Well, one Sabbath, Jesus went to the synagogue and it was customary to have a visiting rabbi read the scripture. He was handed the scroll of Isaiah. Where does he start reading from? Well, we know it as chapter 61. So let's dig into, we're going to read the, the gospel account first. So we're in Luke chapter 4, starting in verse 14. Then Jesus returned to Galilee, filled with the Holy Spirit's powers. Reports about him spread quickly through the whole region. He taught regularly in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. When he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read the scriptures. The scroll of Isaiah the prophet was handed to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where this was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me, he read, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see and the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. He rolled up the scroll handed it back to the attendant and sat down. All eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently. Then he began to speak to them. The scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. Everyone spoke well of him and was amazed by the gracious words that came from his lips. How can this be, they asked. Isn't this Joseph's son? Then he said, you will undoubtedly quote me this proverb. Physician, heal, heal yourself, meaning do miracles here in your hometown like those you did in Capernaum. But I tell you the truth, no prophet is accepted in his own hometown. Certainly there were many needy widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the heavens were closed for three and a half years and a severe famine devastated the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them. He was sent instead to a foreigner, a widow of Zarephath 
in the land of Sidon. And many in Israel had leprosy in the time of the prophet Elisha. But the only one healed was Naaman, a Syrian. When they heard this, the people in the synagogue were furious. Jumping up, they mobbed him and forced him to the edge of the hill on which the town was built. They intended to push him over the cliff, but he passed right through the crowd and went on his way. That again was Luke 4, 14 through 30. Now that's pretty amazing. He passed right through the crowd and went on his way. How does someone escape an angry mob that wants to throw him off a cliff? It had to have been a divine intervention, an angel or something that allowed him to just walk away. If you watch the video, uh, the bottom of my blog, you'll see what the cliff is like. It's also the picture at the top of my blog. It's called Mount Precipice. Uh, <clears throat> I have to click on over to my blog, take a look at it. And then there's two videos at the bottom. Um, but let's read the whole chapter in Isaiah. So Isaiah 61. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me for the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and to proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners will be freed. He has sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favor has come and with it the day of God's anger against their enemies. To all who mourn in Israel, he will give a crown of beauty for ashes a joyous blessing instead of mourning, festive praise instead of despair. In their righteousness, they will be like great oaks that the Lord has planted for his own glory. They will rebuild the ancient ruins, repairing cities destroyed long ago. They will revive them, though they have been deserted for many generations. Foreigners will be your servants. They will feed your flocks and plow your fields and tend your vineyards. You will be called priests of the Lord, ministers of God. You will feed on the treasures of the nations and boast in their riches. Instead of shame and dishonor, you will enjoy a double share of honor. You will possess a double portion of prosperity in your land. And everything else will, every, I'm sorry, everlasting joy will be yours. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. I will faithfully reward my people for their suffering and make an everlasting covenant with them. Their descendants will be recognized and honored among the nations. Everyone will realize that they are a people the Lord has blessed. I am overwhelmed with joy in the Lord my God, for he has dressed me with the clothing of salvation and draped me in the robe of righteousness. I am like a bridegroom dressed for his wedding or a bride with her jewels. The sovereign Lord will show his justice to the nations of the world. Everyone will praise him. His righteousness will be like a garden in early spring with plants springing up everywhere. It's the end of Isaiah 61. So here's some important points. First, note that previously God would speak about Jesus Messiah. Um, it was in the third person. Now it switches to the first person. So if like Jesus is actually saying, I, did I, this, I, this. When Jesus read the passage in the synagogue, he declared that he was the one. The prophecy was fulfilled right then and there. Now notice he didn't read the whole second verse. The first part described his first coming and the second part describes his second coming when it will be the day of God's anger or wrath or judgment. See, first and foremost, Jesus came to save. When he comes back, 
it will be with vengeance against Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet. Had he gone on, the people would have thought that God's anger was against the Romans. At the bottom of my blog, I embedded a video. It's a teaching from Amir Safati of Behold Israel on, on this particular topic exactly. And it was filmed on Mount Precipice, you know, right where they took Jesus to try and throw him off the cliff. Now, Isaiah goes on speaking of the good news of hope. It will heal a brokenhearted, free prisoners, comfort those who mourn, which also that is mentioned in Matthew 5 in the Beatitudes, uh, joyous blessing, crown of beauty, honor, prosperity for the land, everlasting joy. Ah, hey. Ah. And it mentions the bridegroom. Well, we're talking about a wedding feast. Okay, so, um, and I, I did recently, one of the other prophets, we had an invitation to the wedding feast. So you can check, click on over to my blog and, and check on that related uh, study on that. Going on, Isaiah 62, Isaiah's prayer for Jerusalem. Because I love Zion, I will not keep still. Because my heart yearns for Jerusalem, I could not remain silent. I will not stop praying for her until her righteousness shines like the dawn and her salvation blazes like a burning torch. The nations will see your righteousness. World leaders will be blinded by your glory and you will be given a new name by the Lord's own mouth. The Lord will hold you in his hand for all to see a splendid crown in the hand of God. Never again will you be called the forsaken city or the desolate land. The your new name will be the city of God's delight and the bride of God for the Lord delights in you and will claim you as his bride. Your children will commit themselves to you, O Jerusalem, just as a young man commits himself to his bride. Then God will rejoice over you and our bridegroom rejoices over his bride. O Jerusalem, I have posted watchmen on your walls. They will pray day and night, continually take no rest. All you who pray to the Lord, Give the Lord no rest until he completes his work. Let's keep praying. Until he makes Jerusalem the pride of the earth. The Lord has sworn to Jerusalem by his own strength. I will never again hang, hand you over to your enemies. Never again will foreign warriors come and take away your grain and new wine. You raise the grain and you will eat it, praising the Lord. Within the courtyards of the temple, but you yourselves will drink the wine you have pressed. Go out through the gates, prepare the highway for my people to return, smooth out the road, pull out the boulders, raise the flag for all the nations to see. The Lord has sent this message to every land. Tell the people of Israel, look, your savior is coming. See, he brings his reward with him as he comes. See, that's in the third person. They will be called the holy people, the people redeemed by the Lord. And Jerusalem will be known as the desirable place and the city no longer forsaken. That's the end of Isaiah 62. His promises are yet to be fulfilled. However, we know God keeps his promises. And if you want to get a glimpse of what the new Jerusalem will look like, check out the study on Revelation 21 and 22. And click on over to my blog. He will come back to judge the world at some point. Looking at the signs of the times, we can't help but feel it will be sooner rather than later. 
And I embedded the most recent prophecy roundtable at um, at the uh, video at the bottom of the blog, um, and that is with Amir Safati, um, uh, Mike Golay, uh, Jan Markell, and um, uh, Barry Stagner, and those are four prophecy experts. You know that are um, that are really in tune with what's going on in the world and how it relates to Bible prophecy. So I highly recommend you watch this video. Um, and we believers are the watchmen on the wall. So that's why we've got to keep up with Bible prophecy and see what's going on, because that's what we're doing. We're supposed to warn the people that this is coming and we are called to pray for the peace, the Shalom of Jerusalem. And Psalm 122, we've got a prayer right there. Pray for the peace in Jerusalem. May all who love the city prosper. Oh, Jerusalem, may there be peace within your walls and prosperity in your palaces. For the sake of my family and friends, I will say, may you have peace. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek what is best for you, oh, Jerusalem. Last day's timeline. In case you were wondering, I've uh, um, I've shared on my blog towards the bottom a biblical events timeline um right now we are in the church age and we are waiting for the rapture which could happen at any moment <laughs> soon after the rapture when all the born-again believers will be taken to heaven the antichrist will be revealed and the great tribulation will start the question is, will you be left behind if you're not sure if you're saved or not? If you truly want to be born again and have the assurance of salvation, receive the Holy Spirit and get a one-way nonstop ticket to heaven after you die or that you won't be left behind at the rapture. What you have to do is invite Jesus into your heart and receive the gift and confident hope of eternal life. You don't know what to say. You don't know what to do. There's a prayer in the show notes, or you can click on open my blog and click where it says how to invite Jesus into your heart. And don't forget, you got to watch these two videos at the bottom of my blog. You need to be enlightened as to what's going on in the world right now and how it relates to Bible prophecy. Soli Deo Gloria. To God alone be the glory. Isaiah 63 and 64. Submit yourself to God, the potter's powerful hands. The book of Isaiah is called the mini Bible. It has 66 chapters. The Bible has 66 books. As we dig into the last chapters of Isaiah's prophecies, we find that the book of Revelation reflects, even confirms what Isaiah prophesied in 700 BC, almost 800 years before John wrote the revelation of Jesus Christ. In these next two chapters, we have Jesus speaking, then Isaiah praising and pleading with God for redemption and salvation. Let's dig in. Isaiah 63, judgment against the Lord's enemies. Who is this who comes from Edom, from the city of Basra, with his clothing stained red? Who is this in royal robes, marching in his great strength? It is I, the Lord, announcing your salvation. It is I, the Lord, who has the power to save. Why are your clothes so red as if you have been treading out grapes? I have been treading the wine press alone. No one was there to help me. In my anger, I have trampled my enemies as if they were grapes. In my fury, I have trampled my foes. Their blood has stained my clothes. For the time has come for me to avenge my people, to ransom them from their oppressors. I was amazed to see that no one intervened to help the oppressed. 
So I myself stepped in to save them with my strong arm and my wrath sustained me. I crushed the nations in my anger and made them stagger and fall to the ground, spilling their blood upon the earth. <sighs> praise for deliverance. Verse seven, I will tell of the Lord's unfailing love. I will praise the Lord for all he has done. I will rejoice in his great goodness to Israel, which he has granted according to his mercy and love. He said, there are, they are my very own people. Surely they will not betray me again. And he became their savior. In all their suffering, he also suffered. And he personally rescued them. That's what he did on the cross. In his love and mercy, he redeemed them. He lifted them up and carried them through all the years. But they rebelled against him and grieved his Holy Spirit. That's happening now. So he became their enemy and fought against them. You know what? Jesus as your enemy. Then he remembered those days of old when Moses led his people out of Egypt. They cried out, where is the one who brought Israel through the sea with Moses as their shepherd? Where is the one who sent his Holy Spirit to be among his people? Where is the one whose power was displayed when Moses lifted up his hand? The one who divided the sea before them, making himself famous forever. Where is the one who led them through the bottom of the sea? They were like fine stallions racing through the desert, and never stumbling. As with cattle going down into a peaceful valley, the spirit of the Lord gave them rest. You led your people, Lord, and gained a magnificent reputation. Prayer for mercy and pardon, verse 15. Lord, look down from heaven. Look from your holy, glorious home and see us. Where is the passion and the might you used to show on our behalf? Where are your mercy and compassion now? Surely you are still our father, even if Abraham and Jacob would disown us. Lord, you would still be our father. You are our great redeemer from ages past. Lord, why have you allowed us to turn from your path? Why have you been giving us stubborn hearts so we no longer fear you? Return and help us, for we are your servants, the tribes that are your special possession. How briefly your holy people possessed your holy place, and now our enemies have destroyed it. Sometimes it seems as though we never belonged to you, as though we had never been known as your people. Mm -hmm. The end of Isaiah 63. Oh, salvation or judgment? Are you an enemy of God? Jesus came preaching salvation. If you reject the good news, the message of salvation, then you will get the message of condemnation and judgment. You will be an enemy of God. Here's John's vision from, uh, of this from Revelation. So Revelation 19, verse 11. Then I saw heaven open and a white horse was standing there. Its rider was named Faithful and True, for he judges fairly and wages a righteous war. His eyes were like flames of fire and on his head were many crowns. A name was written on him that no one understood except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood and his title was the word of God. The armies of heaven dressed in the finest of pure white linen followed him on white horses. From his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron rod. He will release the fierce wrath of God, the almighty, like juice flowing from a wine press. On his robe at his, at his high thigh was written this title, King of Kings and Lord of all Lords. It's Revelation 19, 11 through 16. 
And these verses were also the inspiration for the classic Battle Hymn of the Republic. And if you'd like to know what the original lyrics were, like from 1861, click on over to my blog, you can watch the video. Now, Pastor Sandy Adams writes, wraps up chapter 63. He moans the loss, I'm quoting Sandy Adams. He moans the loss of God's sanctuary or his holy temple. The Israelis only had it a little while or briefly. Over the last uh, 1,945 years, the Jews have possessed their land just 67 of those years. For the last 19 centuries, they've never had a temple. What sits on the Temple Mount today is the Muslim Al-Aska Mosque and the Dome of the Rock, a monument to Mohammed. Thus, the Jews are unable to offer legitimate legal sacrifice to God. By the way, the last temple was the one destroyed by the Romans in 70 AD. As a result, Judaism has been an obsolete religion. The Jewish religion has been impossible to obey. As Isaiah says, it's as if the Hebrew people have never had a relationship with God or been called by his name. This is the cry of an honest Jew today. He is tormented by the realization of both God's holiness, but his religion's hollowness. Jesus will return to deliver Israel, but right now he waits until she's ready to repent. And that's Sandy Adams. And you can click on over to my blog and, and um, there's a link to his um, sermon on this. Going on, Isaiah 64. Oh, that you would burst from the heavens and come down. Maranatha. How the mountains would quake in your presence as fire causes wood to burn and water to boil. Your coming would make the nations tremble. Then your enemies would learn to the reason for your fame. When you came down long ago, you did awesome deeds beyond your highest expectations. And oh, how the mountains quaked. For since the world began, no ear has heard, no eye has seen a God like you, who works for those who wait for him. You welcome those who gladly do, who follow godly ways. But you have been very angry with us, for we are not godly. We are constant sinners. How can people like us be saved? We are all infected and impure with sin when we display our righteous deeds we are nothing but filthy rags. Like autumn leaves, we wither and fall, and our sins sweep us away like the wind. Yet no one calls on your name or pleads with you for mercy. Therefore, you have turned away from us and turned us over to our sins. Yet, our Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay, you are the potter. We are all formed by your hand. Don't be so angry with us, Lord. Please don't remember our sins forever. Look at us, we pray, and see that we are all your people. Your holy cities are destroyed. Zion is a wilderness. Yes, Jerusalem is a desolate ruin. The holy and beautiful temple where our ancestors praised you has been burned down, and all the things of beauty are destroyed. After all this, Lord, must you still refuse to help us? Will you continue to be silent and punish us? It's the end of Isaiah 64. So what Isaiah describes here is the great tribulation. So John in Revelation 6 through 19 goes into great detail as to what this will look like. And if you click on over to my blog, um, I've done um, uh, studies on uh, the whole book of Revelation. Now, verse 6 is really important. So good works don't pay for sin. 
So if you try to cover your sins with good works or deeds to God, those good deeds or righteous deeds are like filthy rags or withered autumn leaves that are rotting and the wind will blow them away. In other words, you are not saved by good works or good deeds or right, religious rites or doctrines or anything we humans by ourselves can ever do. Salvation, eternal life in heaven, forgiveness in the Holy Spirit can only be obtained by sincere repentance and submitting your life to Jesus Christ. And um, I have a related article and um, a podcast on that. Are you good enough to get into heaven? Verse 7 describes the world today, and this is echoed in several New Testament passages. Jesus said it in Matthew 24, 12, sin will be rampant everywhere and the love of many will grow cold. The world has turned away from God, so he turned us over to our sins, depravity, debauchery, evil, lawlessness, apostasy, apathy. We are consumed by sin. Paul warned Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5, you should know this, Timothy, that in the last days, there will be very difficult times for people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride and love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5. Likewise, Paul also warned, uh, warned the Galatians. Galatians 5, verse 19. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear, sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 22, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. That was Galatians 5, 19 through 25. And I've done a study on the book of Galatians, which goes deeper into this. We are but a lump of clay in God's hands. So God works for you if you wait for him, if you submit your life to him, if you allow him to mold you into the person he needs you to be. You can become the person he created you to be with the help of the Holy Spirit. Every single human being was created in the image of God. However, not everyone is a child of God. You become a child of God when you are born again. Until then, you are an enemy of God, period. If you're not sure if you're saved or not, if you truly want to be born again and have the assurance of salvation, receive the Holy Spirit and get a one-way, non-stop ticket to heaven after you die, 
or that you won't be left behind at the rapture, which can happen at any moment. This is what you have to do. Invite Jesus into your heart and receive the gift and confident hope of eternal life. If you don't know what to say, you don't know what to do, you can, there's a prayer in the show notes, or you can click on over to my blog and click where it says how to invite Jesus into your heart. And in the bottom of this blog, I have one of my favorite hymns. In fact, this was like my theme song as I was moving from Florida to Arizona. Um, it's going to be 17 years now. The Potter's Hand. And it describes it perfectly. Give yourself up to the Potter's Hand. That's total submission of your life. Soli Deo Gloria. To God alone be the glory. Isaiah 65 and 66. In the last days, judgment of God. Are you condemned or saved? Friend, if you haven't realized it by now, we are living in the last days. These last two chapters of Isaiah are very timely. Written in 700 BC, Isaiah foretells the end times. Not only that, he tells us very clearly who is a friend and who is an enemy of God. He also includes three traits of the friend of God that go together. Here too, we get a description of the new heaven, the new earth, and the new Jerusalem. Let's dig in. Isaiah 65, judgment and final salvation. The Lord says, I was ready to respond, but no one asked for help. I was ready to be found, but no one was looking for me. I said, here I am, here I am, to a nation that did not call on my name. All day long, I opened my arms to a rebellious people, but they follow their own evil paths and their own crooked schemes. All day long, they insult me to my face by worshiping idols in their sacred gardens. They burn incense on pagan altars. At night, they go out among the graves, worshiping the dead. They eat the flesh of pigs and make stews with other forbidden foods. Yet they say to each other, don't come too close or you will defile me. I am holier than thou. These people are a stench in my nostrils, an acrid smell that never goes away. Look, my decree is written out in front of me. I will not stand silent. I will repay them in full. Yes, I will repay them both for their own sins and for those of their ancestors, says the Lord. For they also burned incense on the mountains and insulted me on the hills. I will pay them back in full, but I will not destroy them all, says the Lord. For just as good grapes are found among a cluster of bad ones, and some will say, don't throw them all away. Some of those grapes are good. So I will not destroy all of Israel, for I have true servants there. I will preserve a remnant of the people of Israel and of Judah to possess my land. Those I choose will inherit it and my servants will live there. The plain of Sharon will again be filled with flocks for my people who have searched for me and the valley of Achor will be a place to pasture herds. But because the rest of you have forsaken the Lord and have forgotten his temple and because you have prepared feasts to honor the God of fate and offered mixed wine to the God of destiny, now I will destine you for the sword and all of you will bow down before the executioner. For when I called, you did not answer. When I spoke, you did not listen. You deliberately sinned before 
before my very eyes and chose to do what you know I despise, idolatry. Therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says. My servants will eat, but you will starve. My servants will drink, but you will be thirsty. My servants will rejoice, but you will be sad and ashamed. My servants will sing for joy, but you will cry in sorrow and despair. Your name will be a curse word among my people for the sovereign Lord will destroy you and will call his true servants by another name. And all who invoke a blessing or take an oath will do so by the God of truth. For I will put aside my anger and forget the evil of earlier days. Look, I am creating new heavens and a new earth and no one will even think about the old ones anymore. Be glad, rejoice forever in my creation. And look, I will create Jerusalem as a place of happiness. Her people will be a source of joy. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and delight in my people. And the sound of weeping and crying will be heard in it no more. No longer will babies die when only a few days old. No longer will adults die before they have lived a full life. No longer will people be considered old at 100. Only the cursed will die that young. In those days, people will live in the houses they built and eat the fruit of their own vineyards. Unlike the past, invaders will not take their houses and confiscate their vineyards. For my people will live as long as trees and my chosen ones will have time to enjoy their hard won gains. They will not work in vain and their children will not be doomed to misfortune for they are people blessed by the Lord and their children too will be blessed. I will answer them before they even call to me. While they are still talking about their needs, I will go ahead and answer their prayers. The wolf and the lamb will feed together and the lion will eat hay like a cow, but the snakes, will eat dust, that's the devil. And those days, no one will be hurt or destroyed on my holy mountain. I, the Lord, have spoken, Isaiah 65. So God opened his arms to everyone, yet people rejected him and went on their evil ways. And you might be thinking, I'm not evil. Well, to God, all sin is evil. It is of the devil. So servants are born-again believers, and enemies are non-believers. It's that simple. All creation groans. Paul wrote that, Rome, um, that in Romans 8.22, and quote, For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. But imagine a place with no more iniquities, and it does not mean socialism or Marxism. It is the kingdom of King Jesus, a monarchy, not a democracy. There will be peace between animals. All carnivores will become vegan, just like it was in the Garden of Eden before the curse and even before the flood. Think about it. How do you think Noah was able to put lions and sheep in the same boat? There will be a whole new earth, which means that all the climate change fanatics can relax. All they have to do is believe in Jesus and they'll get their new earth. <laughs> Wow, what a thought. So in the final chapter is the most profound. Isaiah 66. 
This is what the Lord says. Heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. Could you build me a temple as good as that? Could you build me such a resting place? My hands have made both heaven and earth. They and everything in them are mine. I, the Lord, have spoken. I will bless those who have humble and contrite hearts, who tremble at my word. But those who choose their, way, their own ways, delighting in their detestable sins, will not have their offerings accepted. When such people sacrifice a bull, it is no more acceptable than a human sacrifice. When they sacrifice a lamb, it's as though they had sacrificed a dog. When they bring an offering of grain, they might as well offer the blood of a pig. When they burn frankincense, it's as if they had blessed an idol. I will send them great trouble, all the things they feared. For when I called, they did not answer. When I spoke, they did not listen. They deliberately sinned before my very eyes and chose to do what they know I despise. Hear this message from the Lord, all you who tremble at his words. Your own people hate you and throw you out for being loyal to my name. Let the Lord be honored, they scoff. Be joyful to him, in him, but they will be put to shame. What is all the commotion in the city? What is the terrible noise from the temple? It is the voice of the Lord taking vengeance against his enemies. Before the birth pains ever begin, Jerusalem gives birth to a son. Who has ever seen anything as strange as this? Who ever heard of such a thing? Has a nation ever been born in a single day? Has a country ever come forth in a mere moment? Hmm. But by the time Jerusalem's birth pains begin, her children will be born. Would I ever bring this nation to the point of birth and then not deliver it? No, I would never keep this nation from being born, says your God. Rejoice with Jerusalem. Be glad with her, all you who love her and all you who mourn for her. Drink deeply of her glory, even as an infant drinks at its mother's comforting breasts. This is what the Lord says. I will give Jerusalem a river of peace and prosperity. The wealth of nations will flow to her. Her children will be nursed at her breasts and carried in her arms and held on her lap. I will comfort you there in Jerusalem as a mother comforts her child. When you see these things, your heart will rejoice. You will flourish like the grass, everyone, will see the Lord's hand of blessing on his servants and his anger against his enemies. See the Lord is coming with fire and his swift chariots roar like a whirlwind. wind. He will bring punishment with the fury of his anger and the flaming fire of his hot rebuke. The Lord will punish the world by fire and by his sword he will judge the earth and many will be killed by him. Those who consecrate and purify themselves in a sacred garden with its idol in its center, feasting on pork and rats and other detestable meats, will come to a terrible end, says the Lord. I can see what they are doing and I know what they are thinking, so I will gather all nations and peoples together and they will see my glory. I will perform a sign among them and I will send those who survive to be messengers to the nations, to Tarshish, that's Spain and Portugal, 
to the Libyans and the Lydians or the Africans who are famous as archers, to Tubal, which is Russia and Greece, and to all the lands beyond the sea that have not heard of my fame or seen my glory. There they will declare my glory to the nations. They will bring the remnant of your people back from every nation. They will bring them to my holy mountain in Jerusalem as an offering to the Lord. They will ride on horses in chariots and wagons and on mules and camels. And I will appoint some of them to be my priests and Levites. I, the Lord, have spoken. As soon as my new heavens and earth will remain, I'm sorry, as surely as my new heavens and earth will remain, so will you always be my people. And with a name that will never disappear, says the Lord, all humanity will come to worship me from week to week, from month to month. And as they go out, they will see dead bodies of those who have rebelled against me for the worms that devour them will never die and the fire that burns them will never go out and all who pass by will view them in utter horror what a way to end the book Isaiah 66 well three traits that go together this is what it takes to get on God's good side humility repentance and a healthy fear of the Lord I found an excellent explanation of these three crucial traits in a Bible study in the free YouVersion Bible app called the Gospel of Isaiah. So I quote, the three traits go together. If you are humble, then you will be contrite in spirit and you will tremble at God's word. If you are contrite in spirit, then you will be humble and you will tremble at God's word. And if you tremble at God's word, then you will be humble and contrite in spirit. The three traits go together and reflect the profound surrender and submission to God. So who are the humble? Humble people know that everything good in their life comes from God. The humble are dependent on God, even desperate for God. There is no sense of self-reliance, self-promotion, or self-exaltation. These are the people who humble themselves before God in surrender and humble themselves before other people in service. The humble person is focused not on himself, but upon God and other people. What about the contrite in spirit? People who are contrite in spirit are broken because of their sin. When the spirit of God gently exposes some sin in their life, there is not hardened defiance before God, but tender brokenness. There is the same spirit that the tax collector exhibited in Luke 18 when he felt too broken to lift his eyes toward heaven, but simply cried out, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. The contrite in spirit are quick to confess their sins to God. What does it mean to tremble at God's words? These are the people who have a deeper reverence and respect for the Bible as the living word of God. They know that this is not a human book, but God's book. Therefore, they treasure it, they prize it, they savor it, and most importantly, they obey it. They feel such a responsibility before a holy God to obey whatever they read in his word. Is this you, humble, contrite in spirit, trembling at God's word? These are the people who delight the heart of God. That's by Jeff Wells from woodsedge.org. There's a link in, in my blog to website and also to the Bible app um, to the whole it's a really good study 
So it's all about the attitude of the heart, not religious rites. God hates religious rituals and rites that have no meaning. God repays his enemies. You do not want to be counted as an enemy of God. Verse 7 was fulfilled on May 15, 1948, when the nation of Israel was born in one day. Fighting didn't start until the nation was born when the uh, surrounding Arab nations attacked Israel. They didn't have an army yet. God protected them. Pastor Sandy Adams explains about the Arabs, the Arab nations that surround them. Uh, quote, and over the last 73 years, the Israelis have fought six conflicts with their Arab neighbors. The latest was in Gaza. Today, Israel is in more danger than ever. Realize Israel and its territories contain 6 million Jews in a little over 10,000 square miles. Whereas the Arab League consists of 22 nations, 422 million people, and occupies a land mass of over 5 million square miles, a vast area, all of North Africa and the Middle East, from the Atlantic to the Euphrates. And all I'm counting are the Arabs. There are non-Arab Muslim countries. Yet the Arabs can't find room for a Palestinian state. They want Israel to give up their land to do so. Today, the Arabs who have vowed to drive Israel into the sea continue to arm themselves to the teeth. Iran, who is not a member of the Arab League but hates Israel, may already have nuclear capabilities. When you see the odds that are stacked against Israel, you wonder, how can they possibly survive? Well, in verse 9, unquote, in verse 9, God pledges to defend the nation against its enemies, and God fights for Israel. In the end, even us Gentiles will enjoy shalom or perfect peace in Jerusalem. And I have a related study from the book of Revelation and the new heaven and the new earth. You should just read the whole the revelation study because it's just it just goes through the book and we're there folks but it's your choice so you either have the three traits or you're an enemy of god that's that simple and the whole worms that never die thing is gross and those are maggots yuck i'm glad i won't end up that way however friend you have a choice and here's what you have to do first humble yourself before the lord Sincerely repent of your sins and ask the Lord's forgiveness. Promise you'll stop sinning. Respect the word of the Lord. That's the Bible. Be in awe of God's power, especially that power you'll get with the gift of the Holy Spirit when you are born again. Get closer to God by reading the Bible daily. Get a good study Bible. And I have recommendations in my uh, website. I'm a Christian book affiliate, so um, I have suggestions there of what's a good study Bible. So if you're not sure if you're saved or not, if you truly want to be born again and have the assurance of salvation, receive the Holy Spirit and get a one-way nonstop ticket to heaven after you die, or that you won't be left behind at the rapture, what you have to do is invite Jesus into your heart and receive the gift and confident hope of eternal life. You don't know what to say. You don't know what to do. There's a prayer in the show notes, or you can click on over to my blog and click where it says how to invite Jesus into your heart. And in the bottom of today's blog, I have a teaching um, by Amir Safati of Behold Israel, and it's called, It's Not About Religion, Brother. Um, very interesting study. So I highly recommend go over to my blog and check out that video. It's at the bottom. Soli Deo Gloria. To God alone be the glory. Thank you.
Thank you for listening to this episode. I pray that the Holy Spirit, the author of Scripture, touched your heart to reveal the gospel truth that our hope of salvation is through Jesus Christ alone. If you have any comments or questions, feel free to reach out to me via my website or social media. I encourage you to read the Bible daily and seek the truth for yourself. I recommend that you download two free Bible study apps, the YouVersion Bible app and Through the Word. Friends, we are living in strange, crazy times, the last days, the end times. But know that things aren't falling apart, they are falling into place. Jesus said in Revelation 3, 20-22, Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in, and we will share a meal together as friends. Those who are victorious will sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat with my father on his throne. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. Jesus is knocking. It's up to you to open the door. Peter told us in 2 Peter 3.9, The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed or perish, but wants everyone to repent. Jesus is coming back soon. Are you ready? Repent of your sins and invite Jesus into your heart right now. If you don't know what to say, there's a prayer in the show notes and on my blog. Jesus said in Matthew 24:14, and the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all nations will hear it and then the end will come. Soli Deo Gloria, to God alone be the glory.